Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I am very fortunate to be joined by none other than Carlos Izcaray, the music director of the Alabama Symphony Orchestra, and also uh, my boss, which is pretty fun for me to get to know my boss a little bit on a on a, a little bit better level here. Um, Carlos has been our music director. I think this is your fifth season, because you or your fourth season, right? Your my first concert was your first concert. Actually, I remember that pretty well. Um, so uh, we've gotten to know him a little bit, um, and he has his contract extended another four years, so we'll get to spend more time with him as well. And so uh, we're very fortunate to have him. He's great to work with and um, brings a lot of energy. And so I'm, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to sort of highlight him as a human being as well, so some of our community might be able to get to know him on that level as well. So we usually start all these interviews off with just starting with where you were born, kind of how you got into music, some of your early life. So, Carlos, thank you for joining me. If you just want to start right there, we can get going. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's uh, very exciting to do this with you. Um, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, 1977. Um, the son of a musician... Uh, who's a conductor, music educator. His name is Felipe Iscaray. I think you might have met him at some point during one of the visits here. He's He's been here. I'm few. sure I've seen him. I met your mom as well, yeah. Okay, so he's been here, and he has uh, uh, come for concerts, of course. So I was born right into... It was thrown into the the into the fire in a way when it comes to to the to music because mm-hmm. uh, you know the son of a musician uh, my parents are from from the western part of Venezuela there's um, uh, one of the our states is called Lara the city is called Carora and i mentioned that because it's uh, it's quite relevant when you when you go to that um, that part of the country it's known for being the land of music a lot of the more, more successful musicians and Historically speaking, from even from past generations, Venezuela come from that from that region. So it's already a very vibrant musical sphere. Um, when I was born, my father was having was he was beginning his career. At the time, he was mostly focused um, on on like choral music. He came from the choral okay. realm. Yeah, and later on, he would transition into the orchestral part, the, the orchestral world. He was one of the first people to sign up and, and collaborate with the national system of orchestras. So early on, we moved to the city of Valencia. That's about a two-hour drive from, from Caracas, so sort of central Venezuela. And those are my first memories are actually from from there in Valencia we we spent a few years there where my father was the head of the of of the regional music center there that was of, of this of this national system that was starting to spread to other parts of the country mm-hmm. um, 
so one thing that it's uh, worth pointing out is that my parents, both parents, my dad and my mom, were um, founders, really, of what would eventually become this national system of orchestras and choruses. People uh, sometimes forget that there's a huge choral network in Venezuela. And this was in in, in their town of Carora. That's why I mentioned it. Wow. There, there, there was, uh, in 1964, Five, I believe, so mid sixties. There was a, a gentleman from Caracas who came from a pretty sort of well-off family. His name was Juan Martinez, and he's he um, he had you know he was sort of like, like all this like he had ideals and he was sort of a revolutionary guy, and then then he he wanted to ch- change things up, and uh, so he went to rural Venezuela to this town Car- Carora. Uh, he he eventually would would uh, marry my great aunt um and uh he's the one that started the very first project that was and uh, it was basically he wanted to, he 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 founded la casa de la cultura the, the house of culture okay in carora and it which still stands today and um and that's also where they started he started a community chorus he wanted to change things up and gave people, young people and people from all walks of life, you know, the, the all social strata, bring them all together and sing in a choir. So my father was one of the, he was the youngest and, and, and he was the part of the very, very first generation of this, of this wow. project. And he was singing there. I think he was either 13 or 15 uh, when, when this started. My mom would join in as well. And this chorus, then later on, that would evolve uh, uh, and 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 you know bring people together, and uh, they started to get funds, and uh, then the House of Culture Casa de la Cultura started to solidify as an organization. And uh, later on, also, there's, there's some uh, sort of geopolitical things happen when the uh, with Salvador, Salvador Allende. Um, and was overthrown by Pinochet in Chile. A number of musicians escaped, and and went to um, ended up going to to Carora, where my my great uncle Juan Martinez, who has started this project, said, "Why don't you come here and let's let's help me with this project?" Yeah. And so there they started the, one of the first orchestras that was like a social program on top of being a cultural thing. Huh. And from there. So this is this predates the the sistema, the famous sistema, by by, right, right. by, by quite a few years. Um, so why do I why am I saying this? Because this sort of had a great influence on my father and 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 how he would uh, see the role of music and society, and that's something that has permeated to me. Eventually, would permeate to me. So, well, just uh, real quick, I think it's really cool. You talk about Juan Martinez and wanting to just bring people of all walks together. Mm-hmm. In Jim Sullivan's interview that just was released, that's one of he said that he thinks that's why music is such a powerful thing in general. And him being a choir director saying, you know, you could be standing or sitting next to someone that you fundamentally disagree with. But when you're doing music, you're sort of being brought together. Even if you don't agree, you're doing this thing together to create something more powerful and bigger than yourself. Well, you're, is- coming, you're coming together with a common goal. Um, you wanting to overcome the challenges of of of, of the piece that you're trying to interpret, 
And literally, you're bringing harmony to life, right. both socially, but also the actual musical harmony. And it's amazing what you can do when you, yeah, when you find common ground like that through something with somebody yeah. you may disagree with or something like that. It's kind of amazing that you can still find something to connect with. And I think it's just such a beautiful reason to want to start something like that, not for, I want to do this so people know who I am or something. I just want the ability to have people come together. And then obviously, like you've said, how it's affected your father and then how that's affected you. It's amazing how far that can reach. Well, it's completely affected, yeah, our, 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 our whole family culture here. And so the... So, long Sorry, story short... Long story, no, there. it's fine. <laughs> long, long story short, basically, when my father would, you know, he, he got hooked on the musical thing and then he... he but he went, uh, he went to to university um, in Caracas to study sociology, actually. And he studied a number of years. Uh, and, and just before graduating, he decided, well, music is my thing. And he gave it up. He dropped out and went to study. That's where he came to the United States. He got a scholarship to study music. And he he uh, came to, he went to Wisconsin. This is in the early 70s. And he studied music education, for it as a bachelor and a master in choral performance as uh, choral, choral directing, conducting for his um, master's. Went to Caracas, then I was born shortly after that, and that's when he started to transition into the orchestral world and mm-hmm. moved to Valencia. So the reason I mention this is because it's, it, my, my family dynamics have a lot to do with what influenced me eventually sure, as a, as a, like as it, a yeah. musician. It's a lot of history there. Yeah, yeah. and my mom, on, you know, on on her side, was someone who who she's very she's a voracious curiosity is one of the things that um, characterizes my mother. I think I got that from her as well. But one of the things that she's always done is she's always uh, she's always been a, a member of amateur choruses. She says, you know, she's always singing in choruses, whatever wherever she goes and wherever she lives. So. I'm um, the the first memories that I have as a as a child are in Valencia, going to rehearsals, you know, sort of backstage and just just you know be, between my my dad and my mom, whether it's a choral thing or whether it's an orchestral thing. I remember the the musical the music center, the nucleus we call them nuclei um, in Valencia, where my father would run the rehearsals with, with the youth orchestra. I remember that clearly. Um, and uh, that's when I started my musical journey, too. I, I, I started with the violin at three years old. It's uh, the first instrument that I played. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I remember having fun with it. Uh, Were you a natural, or did you have to work for it? I apparently I was pretty good with it, uh, but I don't know if 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 you would say like a, the prodigy type, but 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 uh, um, the reports from from my <laughs> from my childhood uh, teachers are pretty positive. Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm sort I'm sort of. Uh, I, I do remember though that the the first day, you know, how, you know, where you hold the violin here in your chin, you know, I was having trouble with that and keeping the violin um, in yeah, it's place. It's a very awkward. It's a very awkward, yeah, yeah especially way the, to hold an instrument, especially when you're beginning. I've seen that now with with my 
eldest child that, that she you know she's having to do that now and now she's she's totally mastered it but i remember very very clearly on one of my first violin lessons when i finally got it at home and i was so excited now i can finally hold my violin here by uh under my chin and it's, and it, and it's fine and i went rushing to my teacher when i had my next lesson uh, this is what this is funny this is one of my first musical memories is going to my teacher saying look 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 teacher i, I forget the name of the teacher, but i finally got it and i put it and i of course <laughs> i completely flopped and i dropped the violin <laughs> <laughs> fell from my chin and it collapsed there the bridge came out and i was crying i and got it, it look <laughs> i got it look and then crash you yeah know? so it's a when they say that uh, you learn from your mistakes, well, Man, I started go. very early there on that. There you go, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, while we were still in Valencia, I uh, also remember, as I said, my mom was a very, very curious person. <laughs> During those times, she would go to, she, you know, she would go to work, and uh, this, my brother had just been born, so she was doing, you know, attending my brother. But at the same time, she would take all these courses and classes and things to to. Um, uh, you know, to explore things that she, I remember she took target shooting once. <laughs> wow. Really, yeah. Very funny. And then, but one <laughs> thing I do remember very clearly is that she took cello lessons and then, and, and she would study, um, with the, uh, the gentleman named Alfredo Garcia. I mentioned that because that eventually would, um, he would, he would circle back into our, our family later on, but, so she would take cello lessons, and I have a very, very clear image of my mom taking cello lessons and studying in our like a little family studio that we had there, yeah. uh, or, or this study room that we had. And it's just that's just uh, that uh, an image that is very much imprinted in my mind uh, since since early on. So at one point, though, my father started to gravitate again towards Caracas, uh, his work, and he, he was starting to get work there. And uh, he got a job as uh, associate um, conductor of the of the Venezuela Symphony Orchestra. He started to do more like, like sort of professional orchestra thing. And, that, and back then it was all in basically all in, in Caracas because, you know, the the orchestras in other parts of the country were very, very, very new. Sure, so they were sure. really, really children's youth orchestras. Okay, some of them were evolved into professional orchestras later on. So back then, you only had Maracaibo uh, and Caracas were the the, the cities with professional ensembles. Um, so we moved to Caracas uh, when I was about to go into first grade. So yeah, I did first grade in in Caracas. So I was you know five, so six, like six, five, yeah, five, six years old. Okay. And um, this is when I was enrolled in in a very very unique school that uh, that's that still exists in Caracas. It's called the Emil Friedman School and Conservatory. Emil Friedman was a, a Czech musician who was the associate concertmaster of the main orchestra in Prague when uh, Hitler uh, came to power and the, he realized that, there, that, he, that, that he was in danger, obviously, for being Jewish. And he and a number of friends uh, escaped Prague. They, they actually went 
just with instruments, you know, under their arms, and then that's it, you know, no, no bags, no anything. They went on a cattle train. They escaped. They were able to to escape, and you know, it was a it was a, an epic journey. Uh, you know, they would part ways. One, you know, the, the, those friends, one of them would end up somewhere else in Europe, the other one somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah, but Emil Friedman uh, somehow ended up in 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 Venezuela. It's and quite the journey. It's from quite Prague. the journey. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Especially when you're going by cattle car and things like that. Yeah. Venezuela was yeah. a very welcoming country to you know, foreign. Uh, Migration is one of the main, uh, it's, it's sort of in the mid 20th century, you would get a lot of people like Argentina, like like here in the U.S. Uh, Venezuela was another of the sort of hot destinations. If you were escaping somewhere, <laughs> the, that was one of the places where sure. you would consider going. So Venezuela, the, he ended up there and uh, he started in Maracaibo and then later moved to Caracas. And he started this, it was actually a musical kindergarten. You know, it's just he was he was a concert violinist, so he would you know he had a concert career, you know, like a solo career. Mm-hmm. He would play as a soloist in different orchestras all over the Caribbean and teaching master classes. He was a fantastic violinist, uh, but also he he like many of these great musicians who came from Europe, many of whom settled here in the u.s and you know we're the faculty in conservatory right. so he he had this sort of same the same school he was very philosophical and and he started a kindergarten that had music as a like a like as a main activity on top of all the all the things that they do and you know in kindergartens whatever he he wanted music to be a part of it so many people enroll their kids there and he would give them violin lessons and later on he added a cello teacher you know so little by little that thing started growing and as the parents saw the progress of their kids they're like oh we don't want to take them to another school so why don't you open up the next level so it's like from like kindergarten and then went to like first grade and then eventually became a wow a a like a prime like elementary school and then it became a, a middle school and then it's like the the, the equivalent of k to 12 how um, long about how long over the, what span of time did oh, that, that take? Oh, that was years and years. Yeah, and years. yeah. It, and it went with the generations. Basically, as the kids were growing, you know, he would he would, he would open just, up the next yeah. one, and he was you know he was uh, also a very successful uh, businessman. He was able to also make it work economically, and that eventually that would evolve into one of the top schools in all of Venezuela. It and it, it still is. It's. Uh, it's a school that has a fantastic academic program, but on top of that, there is a it's a, a music conservatory. So basically, when you're from kindergarten up to up through through the middle school years, everybody is has has a, some form of of music education in it. On top of the, all the academics, the math and history, all, you know, language, all, all that stuff. Yeah, wow. And sports, and you know, and so like how a well-rounded education should be. It's a be. completely well-rounded education. Um, we, and, and that, so that's the school that I went to, and also that's the school where Emil Friedman uh, he, he convinced my father to come and work for him, and my father would then become the the conductor of both orchestras and choruses. So my dad was the the music headmaster there in, nice. in, in in this school. How was that with your dad being your? Oh, your I loved head? it. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was. I mean, I, for me, it was great. I I, I really liked it. And it's uh, my I, one thing I must say. My dad is one of the best music educators in the world. 
you know, and I, I'm probably, I mean, bias aside, I mean, yeah, it's, right, it's, yeah. it's just something, I mean, it, I mean, even, even judging from, 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 from all the generations that have studied at this Friedman school, I mean, if you look at the years when my dad was there, the percentage of students who would eventually become professional, successful professional musicians, it's, 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 um, I mean, it's overwhelmingly how, how, how yeah. many of them would go on to have very successful careers. Um, so being at this point in your career where you can kind of look back with a little bit of knowledge, especially the knowledge you've gained hmm. since leaving, what do you think was a thing that made him such a successful music educator? Well, the, a lot of it has to do with, uh, with having a very broad understanding of the world. Um, my dad is a, an, is a voracious reader. He's, he, he understands history. I think the years that he spent studying uh, sociology, you know, which is that's what you're doing. You're studying you know, society and, right. and, 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 and the complexities um, of, of, of society and, and trying to find uh, answers for it. So I think that the role of music and culture, I mean, I think that's something that he had very clear early on. Um, I think that the fact that he studied music education and then on top of that, choral conducting, then later on, he would, go, he would you know, go to in to the to the or, orchestral conducting so that's a very pretty full package as an educator sure yeah. yeah and on top of that you know you have my mom there helping you out through the whole process my mom also being someone that's very 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 curious also a big reader she has a, a very entrepreneurial mindset so all those things come together they made a very good team in this so sure. uh, my my dad was also early on when he was in his early years in Caracas, he he was a personal assistant to uh, this is a figure that many people don't know. Vicente Emilio Soho was the founder of of, of all the things that are like classical or, uh, institutions in Venezuela. Uh, we owe a lot to Vicente Emilio Soho. He founded the very first orchestra in La, in South America, the Orquesta Sinfonica Venezuela. The, the 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 conservatory one of the first choruses also he would be the teacher of many of the top composers and educators that would come later on so jose antonio abreu the founder of el sistema studied with soho oh wow so my dad was a personal assistant to soho when he you know during his latter years so all those things together it's a it's a would make uh my dad a very strong musician Another thing, I'm also the grandson of a of a musician. My my father's father was a Spaniard pianist. Eduardo Iscaray was a member of the very first generation of of uh, of music graduates who studied with Soho, the school that he started. This is back in the 30s, I believe. My grandfather went deaf early on. I mean, he had a something that today would have been curable, but at the time uh, the the treatments weren't available, so my dad grew up in this world in Carora, where you know he ended up. Uh, my grandfather ended up um, selling insurance, and you know, <laughs> complete opposite Took from the Charles Ives route. Yeah, huh? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, exactly. But but there was a frustration. You know, he did have a drinking problem, but I think a lot of it is because you know, not being able to fulfill your musical dream. But the love for music was there, mm-hmm. so that's something. Again, another thing that 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 
that had a deep influence on my father. And as a kid, you know, you're hearing this as stories. There's something for me. I mean, it was just a, a the perspective is these are all stories that you're following on my, you know, this. It's 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 uh, my my family's journey is is a very crazy one. You know, the, my great grandfather was studying in a seminary in Spain to be a priest, and, and then you know, uh, met this. Uh, pretty lady that if they fell with and they basically <laughs> eloped and they ran off to Mexico Wow! where, yeah. where they started a touring, uh, a theater company that would, you know, a touring company. It's a variety theater where he was the comedian and she was the administrator. And then my grandfather who was a pianist. He was the, yeah. he, he did the, the, like the music, the music part, you know, and there were, it was like a family thing. And then the Mexican Revolution started, and they escaped from there, and that's how they settled in Venezuela. And then, you know, and then my father was born there. It was, it's, it's, there's, yeah, it's, it's incredible to think about how all the little things, that, all little things yeah. add up, and it's this epic journey. And uh, so, you know, my mindset, I'll say, so my my grandfather who was born in Mexico but was a Spaniard, you know, it was, it was somewhat confusing then, but then it would all kind of make sense later on for me. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. I, I don't want to forget this question, so I, I think yeah, yeah. it would be better at the end, but I'm just going to ask it now so I don't forget. Yeah, You have all of these people in your family lineage that have just either started something or have gone on to be um, you know, major figures in, in music education and things. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like you're already well on your way being a music director of like a, a big, you know, at least an Ixnam orchestra, but like, you know, a great orchestra and... I'm just curious, like, if you feel like that's part of what you hope your life's lineage will be to kind of carry on what your family has been a part of and then to take that and then to go on and create something bigger and better and newer. Is that part of your mindset? Do you feel like as a person, as a as a musician, as a music director, like kind of what are what is that for you in terms of how it makes you view what your mark on the world will be or something like does that question make sense yes absolutely yeah. and the answer is yes it's uh i mean i don't have uh uh i mean it's as far as where i'll end up i don't know it's just but this is at some point you realize this is just the way i know how to walk you know it's sure. just uh it's just uh, uh for me they're these are not separate uh, entities. I mean, where they're, you know, performing and, and sort of high culture with with education and the role of music and culture in in society. For me, it's all it's all one. It's it's and it's because it's also the the atmosphere in which I grew up, and I know that it's possible to be to be happy and to be able to contribute. Um, it's 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 possible to understand society also and how and and what our role is. And if you know, it's just, it's just, and perhaps this is one of the biggest contributions in Venezuela, even though that we're going through a very, very dark period in our in in history. As a musical country, I don't. I mean, I think that honestly, and, and this includes also folk music. I think Venezuela is a musical powerhouse when mm -hmm. it comes to the 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 contributions that we. That we're bringing to the world that's probably one of the best exports we have is musicians sure and some baseball players and <laughs> you know uh the you know, miss universes and whatever but i think uh music is definitely a, a big part of it and a lot of it has to do also with just the history and how and how the country came to be and the 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 
the diversity that came to me. Venezuela, obviously, you know, it's got the Spanish, it was a former Spanish colony, but also it was a place where the mix with the Afro culture, with the, with the indigenous, and also the second wave of migration that came from Italy, from Spain, from, you know, from the, 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 the Jewish community that came. Right. I mean, it was all mixed up in a way, this, this, this cultural stew that made Venezuela a very vibrant musical country for some reason there's something there about it that that made it uh, uh very very interesting during the 70s that's the period when i was born yeah you know, there was this new wealth from oil that we were you know we we're, were a petro state so there was also great room for for experimenting the the that's one of the things that that made the system out the, the the system of orchestras and choruses possible that you know when you have some extra cash. <laughs> yeah. The, the, as a, as a country, you can try things out. Um, there was, there's a, uh, for example, there's a Fundaya Cucho. It's a, it's a foundation that, that would invest in Venezuelan citizens to go abroad and study and, you know, become engineers. And well, so my dad was one of the people that went on scholarship to go later on, a couple of decades later, I was one of the people that came with one of those scholarships. The system, I mean, the system of orchestras was another thing that that started out. Uh, the 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 our our little we call them criollitos. The the it's like the like little minor leagues where a lot of the baseball mm -hmm. players came from. Again, so a lot of these things were um, sort of social programs that that would have a great level of success. So, uh, so I, as a kid, sorry, I completely went no, off no, track. No, no, I did it. I did it. That I, was my I completely <laughs> went off track. But it's um, so. So I mean, I'm at this school in the, the Friedman School. Emil Friedman again, a very important um, music figure in Venezuela, and and I got to meet him and know him well because he was good friends with my father. He was he would have been in his 80s back then, and he was like a. Like another grand, like like a like a grandpa figure. By then, my father, my grand, my grandfather died when I was only two years old. So I don't really remember him, but so but but Friedman was a big influence, and it's just there's a lot of it's like this old school sort of European thing. And I mean, we we I was in the I was a boy chorister. Mm -hmm. That's uh, a lot of people. They ask me many times uh, when I'm working with chorus. It's like, oh, this is very natural to you. Why? It's like, well, because I was in you a chorus. In yeah, you know what it was like. Yeah. In fact, while I was in the school, because we th that school has not one. I mean, now that I think they have like seven, eight orchestras, something like that in this in this school. Yeah, crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. Uh, but also there were a number of choruses, and I was a member of these choruses. And before my dad became the 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 the, the music. Uh, director, there was one year when we had an, a couple of years when we had another one. Um, uh, he who was from Vienna, so I I was literally, you know, like when you have like a Viera, the Vienna choir boys, and I mean, choir, I, yeah, I, I was choir, yeah. I mean, you know, in the middle of this tropical country, I was getting a very very European musical education. Hmm. I had uh, my very first uh, violin teachers were from Romania. Uh, yeah. My, I had this Viennese chorus uh, master. I was playing Mozart, you know, and then this end, and I was singing things in Latin and, and all this. I didn't know it was Latin. I just knew it was like, some weird language, and right, I had to yeah. learn it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. you know, and I'm singing Bach and motets and whatever. 
And I think that had a big impact on me, even though I didn't realize it at the time. I wanted to, you know, play baseball and ride my bike and do, and which I was able to do. I was, you know, in this sort of middle-class Caracas kid. Um, but there were a lot of parallels, obviously, with my dad's thing, because my dad has started to ascend as a conductor in 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 Caracas, and um, so some of my first memories is they're backstage and the. Uh, Teatro Teresa Carreño, like like the, like the main uh, performing arts center in Caracas, and I would go backstage. He, there was a period when my dad did all the uh, the, the Nutcracker uh, productions, and it was just like I don't know six seven years in a row that he would do this, and and other ballets and operas and whatever. And I would go backstage. You can imagine for me, I I, just, I got to see the shows, but yeah. also the rehearsals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when they would. Um, discard props that they would use for the, you know, like like the sabers, mm -hmm. you know, for the, you know, like like Petrushka or whatever, you know, whatever show was happening, and you know, maybe the next year they were going to do a new set, a new design, and then many of those things were normally those get discarded, destroyed, and recycled. But so so many of the swords and sabers that I used as a kid at home were things my dad would take <laughs> them home. That's awesome. So I had these. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I had a re really cool toys. Yeah, um, <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah. From from the backstage, um, it's, uh, there were some. Uh, there was a period in the. Sort of 50s, 60s of the, the, the Venezuela National School of Composition where great composers like the Castellanos brothers, Inocente Carreño and uh, Antonio Estevez, those are sort of big, big names of, of our, um, of, you know, of some of the, the top composers. And also, Jose Antonio Abreu, by the way, came from this school. He's also, he was also one of the composers from, from the same school. I got to meet a lot of them. Because my dad was working alongside them. My dad's also a, a deep; he's a big researcher. So I, I it, hmm. they're perhaps the best known classical work by a Venezuelan, and it's perhaps the very best choral work in all of Latin America. It's the Cantata Criolla by Antonio Esteves. The reason I mention this is because uh, it's a my dad was studying this work directly with Esteves. While I was a kid, and he would bring me to the sessions when you know Estevez was, you know, teaching him the work. He he was the only one who had conducted it until 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 then. Nobody, mm -hmm. you know, he wouldn't let anybody conduct it. So when my dad came along, who was doing orchestral stuff, but also the choral thing, he had the pedigree that he would trust. And I remember being, you know, sitting on the floor, you know, by the table, and Estevez was like a very intense guy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> completely like like political correctness was not his strength you know <laughs> i mean this guy and he was yelling at people he would yell at my dad ah this is how it's done and i remember all this this is these are memories that i have but what i also remember is like when it was it was like the second premiere of this work with my dad conducting and i'm sitting right next to estevez my mom you know and sort of a really kind of first row and the um, in the theater, and when when it finished, every, you know, it was like standing ovation, wow. uh, and uh, Estevez is crying. You know, it's like tears in his eyes. I mean, for, for, as a kid, that has a, a big impact. This, I would imagine, yeah. This is a work that I still haven't conducted. Is but it's because I am waiting for the right moment. You want to give yeah. it the justice it's due. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it's a. It's curiously, this work. It's really about the fight um, between good and evil. 
it's a it's a uh, Florentino who's this um, this like a sort of a mythological this, this sort of local hero you know in our, in our in our mythology in our folklore gets um, he 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 meets the devil in the middle of a. Of the of the of the plains and the devil dares him and then and there's this contrapunto we call it yeah it's kind of like the rap wars you know where someone says something and then the other one has to oh, answer okay. it's a, it's like urban yeah I got it's you. a lot like that so sure, the contrapunto sure. the Venezuelan counterpoint is called it's a thing it's in our in our folklore musica llanera that that so this is a a cantata kind of like a liturgical world but work that at the same time has these two the tenor and a baritone going against each other the baritone is the devil anyways i see what's going on now in venezuela and it has such a it's like very relevant I'm it's sure. so yeah. relevant it's always been relevant but now uh, more than ever so i find that interesting actually just an aside just how music can be that in general right say you're a person who you heard tchaikovsky's fifth symphony when you were 15 mm-hmm. and then you heard it when you were 18 and 21 and 24 like your life experience that you've gone through at this probably formative time in your life is going to change how you perceive this piece as a whole and like you said some life circumstances can make any piece feel like very personal all of a sudden well and also sometimes there might be a work that you do you like this just because you like how it sounded and all of a sudden you start to research it later on in your life and you realize oh that the history behind that work is so connected to what you're going at, through in that moment yeah the, the, like, like the historical juncture for example the 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 uh, according to my parents, the, the, my favorite work when I was a kid, my favorite music, the, 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 my favorite piece of music when I was a child, and everything has to stop when it was being played on TV, was the Venezuelan National Anthem. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. But... And I say this often. Um, there, you know, there there's some national anthems that are like whatever. I mean, it's like it's like like militaristic, you know, band music. There, but there's some pretty good ones out there. There, you know, I can. There, there's some really interesting anthems. I mean, I think the American one is one of them. You know, this is a, a very unique one. Uh, I mean, the fact that it's in three and not your normal umpa sure. umpa umpa. You know, there's things that people yeah. don't tend to analyze. Well, the Venezuelan one is also a very, very, very nice anthem. Musically speaking, it's got kind of deceptive cadences. It's just a little bit more rich. Sure. And the the but now that I'm looking at the lyrics of it. I mean the 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 deep impact that reading those lyrics now and what's going on in Venezuela is fantastic. But then back then it was just something that I loved. It's just a fun it piece. It was just a fun yeah. piece that I liked. It's it's a, it's a beautiful anthem. Anyways, I'm all over the place in this interview. No, this Sorry. what this is for. And Glenn, uh, when, when I did Glenn's, he was beauty like, of it's kind of a Latin interview here. Yeah. Like, we're just all over. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. So I'm growing up. So I'm, I'm, so I'm in, in, in this school in, uh, in Caracas at the Friedman School. I'm studying violin. Um, my dad also became the director of another music school. So it was like a more like a conventional conservatory. Uh, uh, Yamosas is the the name, and and so I had my my Romanian violin teacher. She was great, but at some point, I don't know what it was. I started to consider maybe switching instruments. So I that's when I um, and and I think a, a big reason for it is this is this having this memory from like three four years before of my mom playing sure. the cello. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something that I. That I, I 
I, 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 I just couldn't forget it. I know it was just had a, and I, I can still see it. It's almost angelic the way I, I, you know, I see my mom then playing the cello, and and so I decided to switch. Uh, I was, I don't know, almost 10 years old. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was... So you've been playing violin for seven years, if you're 10. So I was playing, yeah, for at least six years. Yeah. I've been playing, uh, yeah, a few years I've been playing uh, violin, and it was going really well. My violin teacher, she she actually came to my parents and this and, and asked them, like, don't let him drop. And he's one of my best students, and he's he's got this natural thing with it, But you know, but my parents are pretty hands-off with that and they have always been uh, encouraging and the the only rule was that i had to study uh, an instrument as part of the integral education right you know i wasn't uh, something that i would that i always say is that i was never pushed to be a musician or or any of my brothers so but i wanted to switch instrument and and, uh, I don't know why exactly. I just wanted to. Maybe it's because I'm kind of lazy. I wanted to sit down. <laughs> for, <laughs> fair, I, fair, yeah. yeah but, but I switched to the cello. Uh, my first teacher was uh, another Romanian called Sabine Dragoi. Um, very loving guy. It, 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 uh, he had a very, uh, but but had a very strict, well, like like, like Romanian sort of strict uh, kind of way of teaching. But I but I enjoyed it. Um, a year later, though, I would switch. Uh, I think something with the scheduling happened at the Friedman School. So then, the my next teacher was Alfredo Garcia, the same guy who was teaching my mom in Valencia. You know, wow. it's just a, a small world kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, seriously. Uh, he was uh, the assistant principal of the Venezuela Symphony Orchestra, and he was he would become my my cello teacher for a number of years. He was a great guy. He was from Argentina, but I've been living in Venezuela many, many years. And, uh, well, that was my teacher. I must say, though, it, but, so, so I was doing cello and, and the chorus part. You know, it was, uh, in, in, in this school, what happens when you get to the middle school years, uh, they put all the kids were So until then, music is mandatory. From there on, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, elective. Yeah. So those who decide to to go into music, they're all put in the same classroom, from there until like senior year of high school. So uh, and it's uh, so there there are four sections. It's like A, B, C, D. Those who are in the B section are the musicians. It's like kind of like the like the like, like the freaks. Okay. <laughs> it's very funny. So that, so anybody who was there were either in chorus or in orchestra. I was actually in the chorus. I was I had not played in orchestra during those years, you know. It's, so you were just taking lessons. Then. I was just taking lessons. Okay. Yeah, I would do like little ensemble things, but mostly I was uh, in 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 the in the chorus and I loved it. I loved being in a chorus. We the one thing my dad has been always very good at is when he's working with with young uh with young groups, you know, youth orchestras or choruses, he 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 was always able to to find the funding so that we would tour. So we did national tours. We did international tours. We, we came to Miami, I remember. I mean, for a kid, that's so much fun. Right. You know, and you're doing concerts and, you know, and then getting on the bus and going to the next thing. It's like sports, but, you know, but music. With, 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 with music, yeah. exactly. But my main interest in life back then, this was uh, sort of early teen years, was basketball. That was the thing that I loved the most. <laughs> in my school, the Freedman School, actually, we had one of the best uh, basketball teams in the in the in the 
in the in the city. We were one of the the, and the there's a, a the league. It's called Lides. Uh, the uh, you know with, between all the different schools, and we were kind of the there were two schools that were the unbeatable ones. And we were one of those. That I mean, so that was my main focus. Were you tall? Like, did you hit a growth? Because you're I obviously was, a taller guy. I was guy. not tall yet. So I was um, uh, at the time. I was mostly going towards like shooting guard, point guard. Yeah. yeah. I would eventually become. Uh, yeah, I had a late. Sure, sure. <laughs> Growing Because, yeah, you're, I mean, I, you're on the podium. Yeah. And I, I, I'm obviously around you from time to time, but when you're that far away, I don't notice it as much. But, yeah, yeah standing right next to you, you realize <laughs> that you're a pretty tall guy, actually. Yeah, I yeah. feel bad for the people in the first stands of the strings, you know, because they're having to really, <laughs> like, really, really look really, up there. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Gotta, and I always uh, encourage the stage managers, you know, don't put the first stands too close because the they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have back problems, neck problems. Right, sure, to yeah. Look up. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, but uh, but basketball was my thing. This was the years that you know Michael Jordan was, you know, we're talking late eighties, early nineties. This was you know this was the the prime of 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 the Jordan years. So, but also, so in nineteen ninety, and this is I, I think my parents are kind of crazy now that I think about it, having kids now, etc. So I have two brothers, two younger brothers. And my parents in 1990, they decided that they you know, they wanted to hone their skills and uh, grow more as, as individuals. And they decided that they wanted to come to the U.S. and do postgraduate work. So with three kids already, they packed their bags and we came in 1991 to the U.S. So my dad, my dad was going to pursue a doctorate in orchestral conducting. <laughs> And my mom was going to do an MBA with a focus on arts administration. Wow. Yeah. And so, what, we, so how old would they have been? They were 41. Yeah. So that's my age now. And so I think just... it's completely insane. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. to think now that, okay, I'm going to go to school right now and do a yeah. doctorate and write a thesis while raising three kids. And I mean, come uh, on. Already having like a full career, basically. Well, having say... a full career, stable jobs and whatever, and dropping it all. Just, wow. On a, you know, it's it's insane. Yeah, that's a crazy, it's crazy thing. very thought. crazy. So, um, yeah. That's a lot, a lot of respect <laughs> for that. Certifiable. Sort of respect. <laughs> and, oh, my God, what were you thinking? But anyways, they did it. So we packed our bags, and they might well they also got very good funding from the from this uh, national foundation that would give, uh, Fundaya Kucha, that would give scholarships uh, or grants for people to go uh, study abroad and then come back. And uh, so that's we moved. We went back to Wisconsin, where they had studied during the in the seventies. So they were there in the early seventies, and then the went back 90s. twenty years later in the nineteen nineties. I arrived here in 1991, and, uh, you know, that's uh, that's why people, because they asked me, why are you such a big Green Bay Packers fan? I was like, well, because I you you know, grew up there a little bit, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did all my high school here in the yeah. U.S., in Wisconsin. I it, it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was, I loved it. It was also the year that Brett Favre went from being the, the second – quarterback in the Packers oh. and, be- and became the starting quarterback. So a lot of like important, the, big, the legend, yeah. Important transitions and I actually got to see him play. Um it was also uh the, the we went to a number so when you're in Madison, this is in Madison, Wisconsin, right? So you have two choices. You either follow the the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, which is you know, 
a few hours like east of you know mm-hmm. of, of, or if you go south you you have Chicago or you have the Chicago Bulls with right. Michael Jordan so it was not such a <laughs> yeah, it was not you. a tough choice really exactly to, to right become, which one you're gonna yeah to become a Bulls fan and I that, and that was my passion I really wanted to be a basketball player it was like all I thought about. Also, we, what was that? Sorry, what was that weather transition like? Too? Oh, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I had seen the snow a few times, like a couple of times for you know holiday trips kind of thing. But but for me, it was a complete <laughs> like all of a sudden live in snow. I remember of a exactly. Climate. It was in late October when the the, you know, the first snowfall, and my brother had never seen the snow, and he was just going crazy. Uh, my <laughs> two brothers and the. Yeah, we had never shoveled anything, you know, it was just it was just funny. How long do you think it took for you to go from this is really exciting to oh, this is our life now. We have to shovel snow and like <laughs> deal with the bad side of snow. It was fine when you're, yeah. you know, when you're 14 and my brother was 10 and the other one was 3 years old. He didn't even know sure. what was going on, right. but for us it was it, it was an adventure. I loved sure. it. I mean, many things had changed. I mean, it's just well, I had been sent here for one whole summer when I was 11 years old to with an American family. They were friends with my with my parents from the 70s, so I already spoke English to to okay. a pretty acceptable level. Um, but but the, you know the cultural change. That, I mean, one thing that 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 was really a, a big change for me was that, for example, in school there was no uniforms. You know, oh, back yeah. in Venezuela, the the school that I went to was sort of. I mean, there nationally all schools have uniforms, but the school I went to was also kind of on the conservative side. Like I say, this kind of Viennese thing, European right. thing. You know, so you had to cut your hair a certain length. You know, it was, wow. uh, so it's a. When, and then all of a sudden, I'm at the school, this public school, where kids have piercings, and you know, the, one of my first friends had blue hair <laughs> it's like for me that was very very yeah. this complete new thing obviously the there was great diversity in a college town you know you have people from everywhere and we and we lived in university housing so there were people from you know one of my first friends were from egypt from brazil puerto rico it was very very international um, so I love that. I love. That's I really. Cool, yeah. It was something that time that trip that I had. You know, when I came here when I was eleven years old, I loved it so much that when they told me, "Oh, we're packing our bags and we're going," I'm the opposite of the kids. Like, oh, I'm crying. Like, Let's do it. I was Let's like, go. Yes. Nice. I was very excited. That's very I, I, cool. And I, yeah, and, and there are stories too from the seventies. Um, so it, it, it was. You know, I'm, I'm when I came here. It's a it, it was an immediate love for this country and many of the things that that it stands for. I remember being in an ESL class uh, as a freshman in in you know in, in the high school. I was put in like in the last level of ESL, so the like the the credits already counted, but it was still all international. And there was a it was like a social studies class that you had to take if you were ESL, and it was this. I remember this teacher who he basically explained to us, you know, the the U.S., the principles, like the Constitution, the Founding Fathers, and the Declaration of Independence, and uh, you know, and it's. I mean, this. I mean, it's also this. This this teacher was fantastic. He explained to us the two party system and the Democrats and Republicans, and he was he was so passionate about, and he had such a deep love for America that it was it was. Very, it's sort of a infectious thing. I mean, all of us who were in that class, we 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 grew up to to 
to love the place where we were living. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you yeah. we were guests or some, some people would remain here for the rest of their lives. But, but it was, it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, and I mean, I could tell you, you know, it's from that because of this, uh, um, teacher, you know, you know, I can, you know, I could tell you about uh, Washington and Adams and Madison and yeah, Jefferson I imagine you and, probably know more about and, and, our country and, and, than a lot and, of the people that grew up here, you know, just because we sort of just go through school and it's part of it. But yeah. I know the people who take like the citizenship tests and stuff, they basically have to know more yeah. than we take yeah. for granted, yeah. you know. But but in this case, it was just something that he was so passionate about it that that it was impossible not to oh, fall for it yourself. Yeah. One funny thing though, sure. Before my English skills were really honed, and this is when I came as an eleven year old, and I, there was one month where I where I went to an American school, um, uh, before I had to go back, you know, uh, for to Venezuela, and it's they did a, you know, when when you begin the the school year, they did a. The, the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. But I had no idea what was going on there because I, I didn't understand. And I just saw a bunch of kids, you know, <laughs> just reciting this thing. And I thought they were praying. And I just looked at them and I said, okay, well, I'm, I guess I'll start praying too. And I come from, you know, like, Catholic family. Yeah. <laughs> just started praying in Spanish, you know, Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. And all the kids are looking at me, what's wrong with this freak? Who's this guy? Yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, it's like, they must have thought I was crazy. And I was, maybe. Oh. So, anyways, I come here and I'm in this public high school, Madison West, uh, West High School. Um, you want to know this uh, funny trivia? Uh, your predecessor. John, yeah. John McElroy, his son would eventually become a teacher at this same high school that I went to in wow. Wisconsin. How about a that's like small, small yeah, world, very as, small as small world. as it gets. Wow, <laughs> yeah. how crazy! Very crazy. Wow, I found this out later years on. So later on, um, so I'm I'm at this school, fantastic public school. Like I said, all these friends, diversity. One thing I loved about this 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 place is that it also had orchestras. I mean, it had two orchestras. In a public high school. So they had a freshman orchestra and also had the band, concert band, and marching band, all that stuff, you know, choruses, but there was orchestra. By then, my voice is starting to change, you know, from, from you know, <laughs> 14-year-old, you're going through that transition, and I'm saying, okay, chorus is done for me. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so I went into, I went, so I started in the orchestra. It was the first time, really, that I was playing. So it was already kind of on the late side compared to some of my peers. I had... Until the you know, and I I was way behind. I hadn't really paid attention that much to to the cello as a you know something I did on the side. In fact, I had rebelled against it the, just a year prior because I had you know my my thing being basketball. I skipped one of my cello lessons. This is still in Venezuela, and I went to play basketball. I went to to you know to to our teams. Uh, root, root, routine practice, mm -hmm. and I wasn't supposed to. And uh, the coordinator found out about it and said, well, "You weren't supposed to do that." Oh, and I fell and I broke my my. Oh. I, I had an injury with my in my wrist, and she said, "You weren't supposed to do that." Well, because of that, you're suspended for a trimester. We have trimesters there from this from the basketball team. Wow! So in retribution, I quit cello. Oh yeah, well. Well, I won't be in cello for the next, you know. And I, yeah. <laughs> and okay, I, <laughs> that's the yeah. And I quit for a whole year. Um, and eventually, my parents the, they um, 
convinced me of oh, can you please pick it you know pick it up again and i which i did and that's when we moved here so i had this very very gracious you know, cello teacher mrs grieve janet grieve who was the assistant principal at the madison symphony the most patient lady in the world because i was this 14 year old you know a little rebellious mm-hmm. Um, I was playing in the in the freshman orchestra. I was the last stand, you know, because I didn't understand a thing. I had never played an orchestra, and it, it, it's a, you know, I, yes, the language was still, you know, I was still picking up a lot of things. And this lady, I would go to my cello lessons on every Thursday. I remember, and I would not say a word. She would teach me do this, and I was like, you know, just staring at her, nod, do what she asked me, but. She even asked my parents, is he enjoying coming here? Because, you know, he, he won't say a word. I mean, like I say, I was the worst student in the, with, with regards to, you know, communication. Yeah. There was no feedback from my end. Um, but I, like I said, she was very patient, very methodical. And eventually we grew, I mean, I, 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 I grew out of this, <laughs> this of the shell sure. and, 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 and and she was really ready for it at that moment when I started to get more curious about music. She was so generous awesome. and and so inspiring as well. Um, and also that's when orchestra started to become fun for me. Uh, when I sort of realized that that I wasn't going to be the next Michael Jordan, you know, <laughs> I did I didn't I didn't I didn't make the JV team. That was very disappointing, and then sort of, but at the same time, I uh, I became the um, uh, principal of one of the the youth orchestras because I also joined the the, the youth the, the state youth orchestra, right, right. You know, the, um, which, by the way, another small world kind of thing is a uh, Mark Libby, our principal percussionist, was also in this orchestra a year before me. Whoa! Yeah, because he also he's from Madison. Wow, yeah. well, that's. I found this out later. Too many small world things, man. Yeah. So, so we went to the same, you know, we had the same uh, music directors. So, so I was um, the principal of the, of the of the second one, and then later on, um, uh, Wiseau, Wisconsin Youth Symphony Orchestra. During the weekends, that's when music started to become real fun for me. That's, I mean, both both in in school, you know, with 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 my school's orchestra, and then in the weekends with the uh, with the with the youth orchestra, that combination, is, you know, I had music every day. Yeah, it's a you know, and on top of that, my dad is my mom are encouraging me. I'm, I had this very very good teacher. So you just came into it kind of on your yeah. own terms a yeah. little bit, I'm like and completely in my own terms. But I was look, I was a junior in high school. Um, one thing from if I backtrack a little bit, I was in in in, in Venezuela, Friedman was someone who encouraged the kids that were serious about music to go to summer camps. So a lot of the kids from Venezuela would go to places like Interlochen. Now, is, this is a place, Interlochen, the camp, was a place that I already knew from because a lot of my friends had gone there and had a fantastic time. They would go to other places like Aspen Festival later when they were you know uh, more advanced in their studies. But these are places that were sort of imprinted. I mean, like their stories, and they would take pictures, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. You know, fast forward to when I'm in Wisconsin, you know, which is obviously right, you know, across the lake from Michigan, where Interlochen is. And I started to ask questions. What about Interlochen? Maybe I can go there. Maybe, you know, what do you think about it? And to my parents. And another 
fortunate thing was that this teacher, my cello teacher, uh, Mrs. Grieve, she had gone to Interlochen when she was when she was young, and she had also great memories from this place. So when I said, you know, I really want to go to the camp, I just wanted to go to the camp. You know, as a, as a this was again as I w- this was would have been early in my junior year. I mm-hmm. wanted to go to the camp, and I practiced. You know, I, I she and she and she worked with me to make sure that I had a really good audition tape and and I that's that that's really when I started to sort of work my butt off to to, yeah, to get to get good at music, but not yet to become a musician because I remember clearly with my mom we were I was going to study I, I wanted to study um, tourism and hotel management. That's like the thing that I wanted to do. I don't know. <laughs> It's a, like like I didn't know that was a thing. Like I mean, I knew it was a yeah. thing, but I didn't know that's what you and, dreamed of doing. And I was and I was, you know, I was getting information from uh, yeah. So it's kind of like a business degree. I wanted to do sure. a business degree, but with the, the I I I kind of had this focus on on the, like 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 the hotel uh, uh, business. It's yeah, very. I, I it's kind of strange now that I think about it, but. Yeah, catering and this uh, like like tourism, etc. So we were getting information from all the different schools, and I was starting to fill out applications, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et um, and uh, at so, so at some point, I got um, but so two a couple of things happened. Number one, I got into the camp. Yeah, you know, great news. This was this would have been the summer after your junior year when you went. This was before. So no, this is before the so before the summer. Yeah. The, so the, the the during early, I forget when is when it is that one sends the applications. But you know, I'm early I mean, in my the, junior. But year. you got in to go to the camp after your junior year. That's right. When you exactly. Yeah, okay. Yes. And another thing that happened again, my my dad has a great thing as an educator is that his former students really stay in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And this is from you know from 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 the early years, and so. Two of his former students, who were great friends of mine in, in school in, in Venezuela, had you know they came to the U.S. to study, and at some point they also went to he so they came and sort of lived with us. Uh, one year it was my sophomore year, sorry, no, my freshman year and my sophomore year. Two of these great friends of mine from school came with us for like just just for a month, just mm-hmm. to take music lessons on the side, and you know with 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 like the professors at the university. And my dad would 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 be like the like the broke he would broker that you know he would go to the to the cello professor and the violin professor and say, can you teach this kid as a former s- student of mine that's something he tends yeah. to do and just help out his students later it's on nice of him yeah um, and so then there was a friend of mine his name is Daniel uh, Pereira he's uh, who's who's uh, his uh, his wife is now the associate. Uh, this uh, principal at Cleveland Orchestra, and he's a cellist there in the Cleveland scene. So he was living with us for a month, and I remember clearly. This is the moment that it happened. I could tell you. Some people don't know the moment. I mean, I know the exact moment. We were listening to Yo-Yo Ma playing the Elgar Concerto, and he's telling me, "Oh, listen to this! Isn't this fantastic?" He was very passionate about it. And when I heard that, that 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 E minor scale, you know, and then all of a sudden I. When that big orchestral chord comes in, I said, I want to be a musician. That's what I want to do. Wow. Yeah. And I went to my mom and said, Mom, just so you know, uh, scratch that whole, the hotel thing, the <laughs> tourism. I want to be a musician. Yeah. And she was, she was a, a little bit surprised. And she came to me and she actually asked me, what your father, what, what did your father tell you? And I said, well, I, I haven't even 
spoken to him. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it was just it was just one of those moments. I, I have yeah. to be a musician. That I there can't. It, it was uh, uh, it was it, it's like this path open, and there was no way I was going to go any other direction but that. Yeah, I have one of those too. Yeah. I, I heard a jazz band concert. And it was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there were it was a, a thing called Trumpet Madness. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the trumpet a lot, but I heard this concert of Trumpet Madness, and there were like 10 trumpet players or something like that. And I thought, this is really cool. I want to do this That's with my it. life, which yeah. is ironic, right? Because I play in an orchestra mm-hmm. now, but I saw a jazz band concert. But I just thought, I want to play the trumpet. Yeah, that's what you want to do. And that was it. And, and then I started it. That was right before my senior year, about the same time you're talking about. And then I then I started to take it a lot more seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, I have and, and And it becomes sort of an up, upward hill because a lot of the people that were – there were a lot of people who were more advanced, mm-hmm. period. You know, right. and I, but it, So I got into the camp. I worked really hard to get in. Junior year, you know, that finishes. I still think that maybe I'll end up doing something else because, I, again, I felt that I was sort of behind, uh, you know, as far as, like, technical skills, all that. So I go to Interlochen, and all of a sudden I see this place, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I mean, and I loved everything about it. I loved the cabins. I loved, the, like, the military drills that they do in the morning. I don't know if they do this still, but, you know, back then, you talk about trumpet, you know, we had the bugle call, mm-hmm. and you had to get up, run to the center court, do calisthenics, and then go back and clean your cabin, you know, and, like, <laughs> like cleaning toilets and whatever. It's like, it's like, there's, like, a military side to it, but I loved it. I loved the discipline part, and then you would go to rehearsals early, and even in the summertime, you know, when you're talking like seven thirty in the morning, it's still really cold, right? Right <laughs> up there, but and we had outdoors rehearsals. I loved everything. I mean, every single thing. And another thing that happened there, there was a, a cello teacher that was just starting uh, in in Interlo- at Interlock, and his name was John Marshall, and he had studied with Jano Starker at Indiana University, and that was my introduction to the Starker School, and. And most people wanted to study with some of the other uh, cello teachers that had, um, you know, that had like a longer tenures. They'd been teaching there for years and years and years. Um, but you know, I was assigned to this newcomer, and it was probably a—I mean, I, I would say it's a strike of luck because his method- methodology, the way that he would teach the instrument the understanding the, the the something about the starker school which is you know starker was this, he comes from this hungarian tradition where you would get you know his like his like his theory teacher was bella bartok you know and <laughs> like, you know and, and you know and then sultan kodai that's where you would get great music like like conductors like fritz reiner and you know there, there was yeah this great not just great culture, great musical tradition, but also the the pedagogy mm-hmm. that is um, that that comes from there. So that that was my introduction to it. To you know, with with this um, teacher John Marshall, who is still teaching there, by the way. Wow. Um, and and he introduced me. He just started talking about the just just the physicality and 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 just the physics of the instrument and the, and the flow and how you would you know shift and, and use your body and use gravity I mean I was fast that's when I got hooked on it to a way and studying with him was so encouraging when I started at interlock at the camp I was the last stand of a of the second orchestra and I was it was like 23rd stand something like that yeah. <laughs> it was like way in the back 
But they back then they still had. I don't think they do it anymore. They had the challenges. I don't know if you heard about that. When it was basically you would have like orchestral auditions every week, and the person at the back, you know, would 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 you you would play an excerpt from what you know whatever music you're playing that week or the week after whatever was coming up, and then people would listen. And then after you you played and to, you both played, then everybody would you know close your your eyes and raise your hands yeah. to see you you know contestant number one or number two. <laughs> and uh, I worked. I'm very competitive in, in, in by nature. The whole basketball thing. I don't know. There's something about yeah, me. Yeah. That, and I was like, I'm not gonna st- stay here in the back for you know. So in the very first challenge, I went up. I, I mean, this is one by one. You know, <laughs> then one next to you, and then the one in front of you, etc. I, I think I advanced something like 18 spots, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and and my teacher was really helping me through the process, you know, getting ready for the auditions. And I think that sort of high energy thing and the and the bugle call in the morning and just 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 the the whole drill about it. I don't know. I, I never you know went into the military. I never did the marine thing boot camp. But there was some there was a boot camp element about uh interlocking in those years that i absolutely loved huh. the, the 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 just the personal challenge yeah interesting because um, there's a a very social part of it that i also enjoy you know i had great friends you know you forged friendships and you know there's a great deal of fun to be had of course and the concerts are fun but there was also this this personal journey that that, that is that that to me was available it was it's 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 for you to really realize yeah. that or not and so i was i was really trying to like milk everything i mean yeah. every little bit from it, it just as sounds much. like you appreciated everything about everything. the everything i just loved it i was in paradise i mean it's i mean it's the first time you you go from a place where you're kind of like oh the artistic kid you know and there are a few of you to your and people all the, yeah. and all of a sudden you're like you know like three thousand plus kids or and all of everybody is you know from from you know, it's 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 inspired. Whether there's a dancer or a writer, or an act, a young actor, or whatever. Yeah. I never went. It sounds like everybody yeah. talks about it like it's an incredible. Yeah, it was place. fantastic. So I had also heard about the academy. This is the boarding school that goes you know year round. And but you know I I I, I was just focused on the camp thing, and it's a strike of luck. I. I'm walking by this billboard, and then all of a sudden, I look up, and there's you know this paper hanging there by a pin, and it says cello auditions tomorrow, so the day after, for the academy. And there were, I think, two spots open for the for 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 the year-round academy. I went immediately, ran to my to Mr. Marshall, um, to John. You know, and what do you think about that? And he's like, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. You know, so we. Um, maybe it was a couple of days that I had because we, I remember that we sat down and, you know, the, and I was really working hard. I was doing that. I remember clearly the Kavaleski concerto, you know. It's a, anyway, so it's a, I signed up for the audition. I dared to do it. And then uh, I went into the audition and it was uh, Crispin Campbell, who was the teacher of the academy. And he met with me and said, oh, hi, how are you? Okay, well, so I played the concerto for him. I think I was doing a Bach suite too. And he worked with me and said, well, why don't you try this? Okay, I try this now and try that. And he said, well, you know, I, I like that you learn fast. That's one, the only comment that he gave me, and that was it. Okay. And then I think a week passed, and I got a letter in my cabin, and it said, you've been accepted into the academy. Wow. And I was like, oh, 
my god and i called my dad i was accepted blah 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 and this and that um and that's when the so so, so, so moment of pure joy i was accepted and i was given a partial scholarship but later on i found out that wasn't enough for my parents to be able to afford the you know the rest right so it was like well son i don't know if we'll if we'll be able to afford it let's see we're gonna try to make it work so so basically i finished that camp you know i had a great time and i went back to madison yeah but you know i I still um you know with no plans of going back because i apparently wasn't going to work out i enrolled again and back i went back to my public high school and i was really bummed out i was sort of depressed you know i'm sure it's like such a different going through the motion it's also because you know the place that you wanted to go to and but it didn't work out you know and then okay whatever um well it's just what it it is what it is you know so sometimes the financial restraints are what they are um and i so i i started you know i went back to school you know just whatever going through i was in calculus class and going through (laughs) the motions and all of a sudden, I'm, I come back from school, and my dad is like, you know, he comes back and he says, "So, son, um, do you, are you still interested in going to Interlock?" And I said, "Yeah." Why? And I said, "Well, okay, they raised your scholarship, and so now we're going to be able to afford it. So you're going tomorrow." <laughs> it was <laughs> like wow, the complete shift. You know, it's like the, amazing. So I. And that's what, so I went, you know, to interlock and happiest kid in the world. This was your senior year. This was my senior year. Yeah. yeah. So I went there for my senior year and boy, I mean, if, if the camp was a positive experience, the academy was just, a, I mean, that was like the most amazing, one of my best years ever, you know, in all my years, it's just a, it was fantastic. The orchestra was wonderful. I mean, it was also a place where I, as I, as I said, you know, by then I was, I had, decided like i'm really gonna go for i mean i'm gonna go for everything yeah. i was really hungry for mm-hmm. wanting to be a, a, a rounded musician so by then thanks to this youth the 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 youth orchestra that i had been in in you know in the wiso they had a chamber program that i had signed up for it was like after the orchestra thing you you, you had the optional thing of being in a chamber group and i had been in a really nice chamber group so when i got to interlock and i signed up for everything Chamber music, well, yeah, I want to do it. I, I basically went. So, so what's, so, so what's the? I dropped all the academics that I didn't have to take. <laughs> you know, whatever's required. Okay, I'll take it. Like literature, okay, history. You know, anything else? I, I don't have to do more math. I didn't do more math. You yeah. know, it's like I dropped everything because I wanted to focus on, on why you on were the, there. Yeah, on the music fully. And I and I, I thought it was a. No, now that I think about it, it was the right choice. So. That's I delved into the the theory part. I mean, I mean, the faculty there was fantastic. I mean, this uh, is curiously. I mean, the U.S. most teachers uh, don't use solfege, but my teacher there used solfege. Because mm-hmm. many people ask, you know, what about solfege? I mean, that's something I had from my youth because sure. in Venezuela you use it. But the, this teacher continued it. So it was, I, I uh, so I worked on that. I had really I had an amazing string quartet that were and we, we were all. I mean, you know, they assigned you to your groups, but my group was very, very passionate about it. We we were a real unit, a real string quartet. Yeah, wow. And then you had the orchestra. Um, 
and we had a music director of, of, of the orchestra. His name was Matthew Hazelwood. He passed away a few years ago. Um, he was very, very passionate. And curiously, he's, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm doing this chamber music. I'm doing this. I mean, I mean, I'm passionate about everything that is music. And he's the first, I mean, I walked up to him and said, would you mind giving me some conducting lessons? And it was with him that I had my, my wow. beginnings, you know. As a, as so a, was this just to, like, you just kind of want to check something new yes, out? Or you didn't, that's exactly so you what maybe didn't have, yeah. like, I'm uh, going to become a conductor? No, not not at all. I mean, my conduct, I mean, my road to conducting came much, much later. And it was almost accidental, in, in fact. Uh, so, but, but with him, he gave me a few tips, you know, do this, do that. This is how you study a score. You know, you, you can grab a table and put it at sort of a, at, at, at this height and try to, you know, you know, beat the pattern so you always click on the same place. And the, you know, they give me a few tips, and that was about it. But I was, but but that I found that to be fascinating. I mean, it's just everything about music, including the comp- the, the, the the composition side of it. Just everything. The theory guy was amazing. My ch- my cello teacher was very passionate. Um. So fast forward to the end of the year, I did not audition to any conservatory or school because in interlocking they have a postgraduate year. And my teacher wanted me to stay for an extra year, sort of to to really work with me. Unfortunately, though, they raised the tuition even more oh, that so year. And that's the point where my dad said, oh, sorry, I can't. I mean, that's the part. Of it. So all of a sudden, I was left in limbo. And I, like, like we, and, and by then, my parents were finishing their degree. So they were going, they went back to Venezuela. So it was sort of, okay. You had to figure something out. Yeah. You're done. You had the greatest year in your life. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you're back to Venezuela um, with, without knowing what's going to happen at all. And uh, so that's a, it was a very, very different summer that, um, you know, I was, it was uh, you know, I was at this apartment that they had just rented. They hadn't moved there yet because they were kind of closing shop in Wisconsin. So I'm alone as an 18-year-old in Caracas with a cello and an unfurnished apartment. Yeah. I had a car. It was a very strange thing. But all of a sudden, I heard about um, a friend of mine had transferred to a different school, and he was studying in Miami, Florida, at the New World School of the Arts. And he told me, well, look, you know what? This this um, scholarship that I had there is it's available. Um, you might want to audition for that because it's, it's because he this this friend had had transferred kind of last minute to, to go to Cleveland, I believe. And I said, well, what the heck? I have no, I have nothing else to do. Right, yeah. you know, so I practiced all summer and I made a tape. You know, I remember it was a Hindemith Sonata, a bunch of concertos, and I sent it to Miami. I had no idea what the school was. You know, I just thought, well, it's a place I could start. The New World School of the Arts, during those years, it, it began, it was founded by John Delancey, former uh, principal oboe of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Right, he yeah. was involved with Curtis Institute and later at San Francisco Conservatory, a legend in the oboe world yeah. and also in academia. And he had started this school kind of... It, when that school started, it was... it was it, it, The vision was for it to be a, a sort of Curtis, you know, where all the students were uh, on full scholarship mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and the, the faculty was fantastic... Later on, that school with, you know, with administration and the financial, I don't know, the, the fundraising did not work out. And so they, they changed and, and, and turned into a different kind of school. But I think I got the tail end 
of 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 of, of the of the really good years. Mm-hmm. So so I sent my tape. I got in and I went. I go to Miami, Florida. I mean, so talk about a complete contrast. Sure, I had yeah. been in the Midwest, you know, in the shoveling snow, and all, all right. of a sudden I go to Miami uh, to a school that I did not know. But I was at the very least I was on a full ride. Uh, they, they even what was get, the length of time? Was it was it a year, three well, years? Well, my, my plan, I, I didn't know. I mean, I was going at least for a year. Yeah, okay. You know, and then okay. So, so I, got, I got there as a freshman, but uh, and, and sort of let's see what happens. Um, but the, what happened there is I arrived, and a couple of things happened. Well, number one, the, the cello teacher, Keith Robinson, who's the cellist of the Miami String Quartet, fantastic teacher. I mean, it was just all around, you know, he had studied at Curtis and he was just a you know, really great teacher. I I was studying with with all the members of the string quartet. Um because of this great attention that I given to to music theory and this teacher that I had at Interlochen, you know, they when you got when I got to the school in, in Miami, they give you a a bunch of tests at first. I didn't know what it was for. You know, it was just analyze this, do that. You know, it was just a, like music theory. But I, I, you know, I was I didn't know what, was, what that was for. But I took the test. Well, um, what happened was that they told me, you know, Carlos, you you you, you did so well here that we're actually gonna. So I, I passed all the all the freshman courses, all of them. They they they. I I went straight into the like the sophomore part. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was a fresh, like a fresh more, and I don't know. Okay. Like, a, I, I didn't take any other freshman classes. I went directly to the, to the second year, um, and uh, so that, it, it, again, that that was the one of the beauties of the school. I, I um, Lisa Braden, uh, Frank Cooper. I mean, there were this the, the faculty there was also great. I mean, the the beauty of it was a very small school, with a very strong faculty, and I was like a prince there. Because it was a, it was very small student body. You know, it's, it's it, it it wasn't a main destination school like like a Cleveland or right, Indiana right. or whatever. It was just this place where I was. So so the faculty there really gave me a lot of freedom to explore things. Mm-hmm. So I had you know again I was doing a lot of chamber music and I they also encouraged me to teach. So because the New World School has the college division, but also there's the the, the high school. It's a magnet school, a lot like here, like uh, uh, ASFA. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exactly the same. Okay, it's just like ASFA. So I was, I had this uh, opportunity as a freshman in in college to be teaching kids that were pretty advanced, you know, in uh, high, at the high school level. So I became an educator very very early on. Right. Yeah. With. Um. So I'm sure, it's great to get that practice in early you mm-hmm. know figure out a lot of things absolutely and, um, i think the, the, the that's a lot of, a part of the hungarian method is like do you learn through teaching i'm sure you agree with that it's oh just, yeah absolutely. it's just uh you explore i mean whatever you're teaching you're also teaching yourself and you you know this the the, the conversations and the discussion so it's very early part of that for me so then the miami string quartet they got um another offer to become faculty i think it was at kent state um university so they all of a sudden, my sophomore year, I was left sort of, oh, what's going to happen now? Yeah. And here, another two very strange <laughs> sort of coincidences. I don't know. So number one, the, the cello teacher that they found, it was like an interim position. And they got uh, this young 
cellist who was just beginning his tenure as professor at Indiana University. His name is Emilio Colon. He's from Puerto Rico, and he was a disciple and assistant to Janusz Starker, who was still in Indiana. He was so he was one of the four teachers in Indiana, the youngest one of the school. And he was going to come to Miami every week or every couple of weeks, whenever he could. And he, you know, he was, um, so that, that, and remember I had already this idea about the Starker school. Yeah. Thanks to Marshall. And all of a sudden when they told me, Oh, you're going to, this is going to be your cello teacher. I was very excited. Sure. And when I started studying with him, I mean, that's when I said, Oh my God. I mean, it's, it was like, and it's one of I mean, he would become eventually. It's kind of like a, he's not just my mentor, but kind of like a big brother. To right? Me. I mean, yeah, yeah. Someone who, who, who's uh, fantastic pedagogical skills, and also, I mean, he's Puerto Rican, so it was a cultural thing. Uh, it was, it was. He's really like a big brother now. Um, and and this is the the real talk about small world. Our orchestral conductor or music director of the orchestra Eduardo Diaz Muñoz who gave me uh, my first orchestration classes fantastic composer and conductor someone who who I uh, also had great influence on me he left the school to go to Mexico and run one of the top orchestras there all of a sudden the uh, his name is Carl Kramer I don't know if you heard mm-hmm. the name he's a former um He's been dean of, of many top schools here in the U.S., and he's a tuba player. He came to me at the end of my freshman year and said, Carlos, you know, we're looking to fill this position because uh, Diaz Munoz left kind of last minute. And we've heard that your dad is is a, <laughs> is a very good conductor and educator. Do you, know, you think he might be interested in filling in for this position, uh, this one-year position? And I said, he had just finished his doctorate, and I said, well, I'm Give me a call. Give him a call. I think he might be interested. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> sophomore year in my, you know, in in you know, in, in Miami, where again I, I didn't know if I was going to remain there, if, if I was going to transfer. But all of a sudden, my dad comes in and he gets the job to be the conductor at the school where I'm going. I mean, that, that's, that's am- yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, and it also coincided with the, you know, as I said, that I, I skipped through you know, the freshman year courses. So by that time, it was just the next in line. One of like the courses that I had to take was conducting. Huh. So you studied with your dad so, then? So I studied in college conducting. My very first uh, like big sort of big right. formal lessons were with my dad that's, in that's school. Crazy. It's very weird. Yeah, that's very weird. Yeah. And of course, you know, so then we were also roommates because, you know, my mom was, you know, she had gotten a job in a bank back in Venezuela. So they were kind of, okay, so I'll be here. I'll be, you'll be there. And, you know, so sort of the, the, the family dynamics worked out in a way that you know, he just went to Miami. Again, it was a one-year position. He didn't know if that it was going to be permanent or not. Right, right. And the, this is so. So I started conducting with my father in school, <laughs> and then, and that's one of the beauties. That's the the first ensembles that I conducted, and the dean of the school was sort of paying attention to this because he realized that I was able to do more than just play the cello. You know, it was just it was just something I don't know. I was very like I said. I think I got this from my mom. I'm very curious, and I was, you know, during like in an orchestration. Uh, classes and, and theory when they would tell you oh, write a piece for a quintet just to see if you can i mean i would write a whole quintet you know like yeah, with multiple, yeah. several movements and 
and but they, it sounds like it's just from the love of music, not l- anything else other com- than you just no, wanted just to crazy exist about music, in that. Love for music. I mean, that's all I thought about then. I mean, music, yeah. music, 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 music. You know, and it's like, and 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 but in all aspects of it. You know, there were if if it was a trumpet players, you know, I would want it to. How does that work? You know, and a clarinet player, you know, and I was very curious about it. And then the teaching part. And fortunately, in this small school, they gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, so the dean noticed that I, you know, that perhaps I had some, you know, some abilities uh, beyond the instrument and. When my father left that, you know, after that one-year position, you know, they, they chose somebody else for the permanent position. Mm-hmm. That was actually a little bit of, uh, emotionally for me, oh, that he didn't get the job permanently. He had to go back to Venezuela. Yeah, right. Um, then uh, Maestro Gershvold became the, uh, from, from Russia, became the next the conductor there. But funny enough, the third year that I was there, they kept encouraging me, and and um, the the next conductor also. I mean, he had heard about me and my conducting, and then he. And so I was like the de facto assistant conductor at at the school, and I would conduct the both the university ensembles, but also the school um, ensembles. Not in concerts, just like rehearsing, yeah, you know, and but it, getting practice doing. And we it, did yeah. some really nice repertoire. You know, I did Firebird. Uh, I did a. You know, we 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 would do. They did like small productions of uh, the Flatermouse, the actual, you know, the the, the full stage work with, mm-hmm. with with high school singers, with college singers mixed, and I would do a lot of the rehearsing, and that's that that was my beginning as a as a conductor, just sort sort of you know, and I remember there was a time that the that Gershwin, the uh, this uh, Russian conductor, that he would he wasn't feeling well, he had a headache or something, but he didn't. He felt that we needed to continue rehearsing, and he, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's just went, well, Carlos, here, give me the baton. You keep the rehearsal, just stay, and then, and I, so I, st- <laughs> all right, so, so I, st- yeah. I kept rehearsing. I think was, we were doing Mendelssohn symphonies and other things, and all of a sudden I looked to my right, and right between the bases, I see Gershwin looking between them, and he was kind of checking me out. I was just seeing, like, okay, this is kid for real, and. But that was it, you know. That's, so that's my beginning of my conducting path. Yeah, interesting. Fortunately, I was able to finish my bachelor's degree in three years, and Emilio Colon, the cello faculty, and he he basically told me, "Okay, you, I want to take you. I want to bring you to Indiana." I mean, he was passionate about it, and he and he even told me that. But you're you're behind. You're behind the curve. You know, I, I'm going to work really hard with you. And I mean, I. I mean, talk about, I, I was taking like 25 credits, uh, school credits per, per semester. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to finish school and be able to, you know, to be able to do my master's there. Um, all I did was practice, study, practice, study, practice, study. That was it. Um, fortunately, so I went to Indiana. I got in. And that was, it was funny because I was sort of the hot shot. In Miami, you know, in this in this very small, right, but Indiana's in a this, big school, in this small school, and I'm going to Indiana all of a sudden, and and okay, uh, fine, and I'm and I I felt I okay, you know, it's just sort of like, here I am. Um, so I auditioned, but I remember there was a Janos Starker masterclass that evening, and I, I look at my I, for, well, first of all, I had never seen Janos Starker playing or teaching, and this is this is the perfect opportunity to see both at this recital hall. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, what is this? I mean, it was 
it was like watching this magician of the instrument. I mean, the the flow, the ease with which he was able to play, and then explain it at the same time. The the, the sort of the logical approach, and being able to do it while he's playing. You know, this, you know the the way to pronate the bow and to anticipate with your hand. And he's playing. He's playing like the the hardest repertoire you can imagine, most virtuosic stuff, while he's playing it and smoking a cigarette. He had a cigarette between his hands. You know, you know it, it was fantastic. But on top of that, that master class right there, the person that was playing, the person he was teaching was none other than Mark Kosower, who is now the principal cellist of the Cleveland Orchestra, who's this prodigy. I mean, it's, he's, this is a guy that by, by the time he was 17, he probably played all the repertoire already. Right. And it, so it's wow. like, all, it was a, the biggest reality check that you can imagine. It's like, oh, okay, I got a lot right. of yeah. <laughs> to cover here. But I'm sure that was great for you, you it know, was, to hear all this amazing playing and say, okay, here we go. Like, this is the next step. Well, and I went from being one of the very few, the handful of cellists, you know, that, that might, may, might have a career in this, in this school to going to a place where you have like 72 cellists, right, 300 right. pianists. You know, it was like this gigantic place with a great infrastructure. But also another, uh, much like it, this when, when I went to Interlochen, it was just... It was just this the the, the music library. I mean, I, it's like four stories of just music library, not libraries, just music, yeah. all music scores. And I, I yeah, I the, my experience there was fantastic. Like the college life, I, and I went for everything. I mean, you ask my, I, I'm almost embarrassed. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to 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 uh, you know refer to my friends back then because they you know you know I'm this Venezuelan kid. You know, I'm also, I mean we were. It was a college town, the party life. But yeah, I, yeah. But I wanted to get everything out of it. Yeah. So, so I would go to every single party, all the night scene, everything. But but uh, funny enough, though, I I would have enough energy to be there at eight o'clock for my morning classes, and and I would take naps at the music library, you know, with a bunch of scores. I you know I wanted to get it all. Yeah. And and I'm happy that I did. Probably a little bit on overdrive, but yeah. but at the same time, Fair, it, yeah. it, it's you know it's cool. Yeah, I mean you get your instruction and you know and, and uh, you learn how to get a job. But I think the social, the networking part that comes from it is so important too. So the nightlife is not a waste of time. I, yeah. I always tell that to my students. Like, hey, you know, I won't tell you what to do, but I um, definitely make sure that you have a life. Yeah, While you're absolutely. in school, because also later on you'll be busy, and then you, if you end up having kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, this is when you become yourself. This is when you discover yourself. I agree. I actually agree 100. percent Yeah. And um, and and you know now I have friends from you know some of them went to do some some, some such amazing things. You know, uh, have you ever seen this uh, this uh, you know uh, this cellist from Iraq? would play in the you know where when 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 there were bombings and things and he would go out there in the square and play uh, i don't think so uh, no. karim he was he went to school with me <laughs> i mean one of the, another person that was the the founded one of the first music institutes in afghanistan once you know when the war started blah blah, blah and then trying to introduce culture there western culture but also um giving opportunities to young girls to be able to play instruments etc i mean another friend of mine who was from wow. from from these years so they went over sort of that's the beauty of going to one of these big schools that later on you see them you know sort of take over many of the like the 
big positions, university spots, you know, the teaching positions or principal jobs here and there. I mean, they're all over now. Yeah, friends right. of mine. Yeah. They're big friends of mine. I had no intention whatsoever of becoming a conductor, though. I was a cellist. You know, I was, I, I was a very big into chamber music. My quartet won the Kuttner Quartet um, competition at Indiana. So that meant that the second year I did not play an orchestra. All I did was string quartet, string quartet, string quartet. I joined another quartet that was made out of, of, of Venezuelans. And they were based out of Cincinnati. So I was commuting between Indiana and Cincinnati because we had this quartet that was starting to tour and to do competitions and whatever. Um, so it's, it's a, it was funny because I had a foot, I already had a, a one foot in school, but another one in, in the professional realm, like the young professional realm, you know. And that was very instructive for me. Um, the, for example, speaking with audiences, that's something I learned by being a member of a quartet. Because we were... You have to. Yeah, you have to yeah, go there. You're to introducing the, the repertoire. Audience, yeah. We were all Venezuelan, and I happened to be the one that had uh, more developed English skills. So I, normally, it was the, like the de facto <laughs> right. uh, speaker. And now that you know, when we do concerts, when I have to approach an audience, you know, you, you do feel much more comfortable once you've had all this practice. Absolutely, yeah. Going to churches, you know, how the quartets are, you going to little communities. Oh, my first time in Alabama, actually, was with this quartet. We oh, were, wow. We were touring the Southeast. Um, later on, when I got this job, my one of my former colleagues reminded me of that. Oh, yeah, we, we played in, I think it was in Huntsville. So, so when I finished school... Our quartet had went through this period where we were men, we, we were being mentored by some of the top top string quartets here in the country. I'm talking the Tokyo String Quartet, the La Salle String Quartet. My God, Henry Meyer. I mean, studying with people that have, you know, that worked with like Alvin Berg and people like that. You know, it's just a, there was a direct connection to the, a lot of the like, the top schools. Okay, so you have the Starker thing, you know, with you know Bartok, etc. But at the same time. Um, Koppelman, for example, former violinist of the of the um, Borodin Quartet in Russia, who had worked with Shostakovich, you know, and, oh, and, wow. and he's giving you fingerings and bowings uh, and, and so much interpretive. Lineage and... Yeah, there's a complete lineage wow. here, a direct lineage to some of the top schools that we have to, you know, that we learn with and with 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 Henry Meyer learning Beethoven or 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 Alban Berg or things like that, Schoenberg, and you know, it's it's and then all of a sudden it all becomes connected. Um, I think that was probably the most important instruction that I got was playing in string quartet. And it's also obviously where you learn how to listen and, mm -hmm. you, you know, in the, in, in having intonation systems, not just learning how to play in tune, but knowing, oh, wait, this is, uh, we're, are we going to play with a, like with, uh, with tempered intonation with a, the, with the third is maybe a little bit lower. Or so just, to, so if yeah. it's all going to be or, like a piano yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Or do you go with expressive intonation and you just raise it up a little bit so it's closer to the resolution? Mm -hmm. All these things I learned from there because many of the quartets that I worked with had different systems. So the Borodin was more like of the tempered system, whereas the Vermeer quartet, was more of the expressive intonation, and you know, then at some point I, I came with sort of my own personal system, which which is a hybrid, depending on the on the role of that or this note, sure. and then you go with one or the other. Um, so at some point, though, this quartet we went through the well, 
sort of a quartet divorce. You know, we're 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 just yeah, just kind of have different uh, paths. You know, different. Uh, you, some of us felt we were to go in this direction. Some of us in this direction. At some point, I said, "Well, I think I'm ready to explore something else in my career." And this is 2002, and I decided actually to go back to Venezuela after being gone for over a decade. I had been there 11 years here in the U.S., and I, you know, just decided to go back. So we're in 2002. Obviously, I'm following the news, uh, and so I'm a little bit afraid of going back because Venezuela is already, you know, uh, Hugo Chavez is already president. I wasn't liking what I was reading from from abroad, but it was you know my visa was about to expire, and I and I'm I'm supposed to go back anyways because of this the the this grant this the scholarship that I had. Um, I I went back to Venezuela. I did not yet. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I knew that the National Symphony Orchestra, the or the Sinfonica of Venezuela had the the principal cello was 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 vacant and there was also maybe the opportunity to work for El Sistema also because you know Abreu gave me a call and you know so he said well if you want to work here you're more than welcome that's a it, it didn't work like that for everybody you know but, right, but well, that call had... but that call that's a call that many people got but I knew there were options sure. at the very least you know so I went back there December 2nd, 2002. I remember it like yesterday. Why? Because the day I arrived at 6 in the morning, I arrived in Venezuela. That's the day of the national strike, the largest strike in the history of the country. Like the oil uh, workers, you know, the, there was like this huge strike that would last about two and a half months. It was, yeah, I, I, wow. I arrived in the middle of chaos. <laughs> yeah, wow. And obviously, all uh, activities, cultural or or you know, it, all everything was paralyzed. It was the, the, no, nobody was going to work. The public sector was completely, you know, nothing. It was petrified. <laughs> nothing was happening. And it was a very strange thing. It's like I, I used to joke. Oh, the, I arrived in the country <laughs> through a lar- <laughs> largest party thing. And it was very strange because it was. I've you know, this is sort of a a parallel reality. I've never seen this anywhere, you know, or ever since. It's uh, you know, you're. I went to Carora, where my parents are from, you know, to my grandma's place, and I was just staying there. And can you imagine? Nobody is going to work. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah, Doctors I are, I mean, nothing. And it's just like we were playing cards and just trying to write it out. And you think it's going to be maybe a week, maybe or two. And all of a sudden, it's it like just two, three going, months. Keeps, you know? Wow, yeah. That's it hard to very, imagine. It was very strange. Um, fortunately, though, the people at the Sinfonica Venezuela, they had heard about me as a cellist. And they, they call sort of like the principal players, and they 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 organize a special audition just to hear me out. I mean, just to to listen to me, just to see if I could at least enter the ranks of the orchestra, not mm-hmm. as a principal, but at least as a two T player. Yeah, things are very different there than here, like the system, the audition system, etc. So they they audition me, you know, and they the, the excerpts, just you know. That part is the same, and uh, and I got in. So when I when when things started up again, I think it was somewhere like February, late February <laughs> of two thousand three, is when activities began again, and I started working at the at the, at the symphony. 
the funny part is that this is the orchestra where my dad had been associate conductor right, back right. in the day. So all, I mean, a lot of these people know me since I was a kid. Glenn Eckner, our, yeah. our our librarian, who was principal flutist there, knows me since I'm a since I'm a child. Right. I mean, a lot of them are like, you know, hey, here's the kid, you know, right? <laughs> Little Felipe, they would call me, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Carlitos, you know, all of, I mean, all my former colleagues there. No matter how high I I, I, I <laughs> climb in my be. career, I'm always Carlitos yeah. to them. Yeah, that's what they call me. <laughs> um, but. Uh, well, but I got into the orchestra. I was last and cello, you know. This, uh, but but um, and we there was no music director. This is it's a this is a strange orchestra. The uh, it was founded in 1930, and it's it's got a little bit it, the, the kind of like the Vienna, Phil or Israel, where everything is run by musicians, mm-hmm. including the board. I mean everything. And so there's the it's all run. 100 percent by the by the musicians and we have elections to see who's going to be the who's going to be the you know the president vice president sure. and secretary of this or that um so i but and you have to you can only run for it once you're there for two years after the assembly votes for you so you get tenure or not i mean it's, it's a yeah, whole yeah. different system very complex you. very political also so i got in there and i was a bit of a I, I was a little bit of like the, the, like the trouble kid because when I once I arrived, I noticed that the orchestra was being used way too much for for the you know like the government you know the, the Chavez regime would would re, re, you know not request but require that the orchestra play in this or that event, many of which were sort of political. So I was already starting to say, hey, hold on, we're not supposed to be doing this. What's going on here? You know, we're supposed to be a nonpartisan cultural right. organization and and i was very vociferous about it you know i spent after uh spending a decade here you know, you know how it is i mean can you imagine that and they make you play for this or that or well, they're yeah you would speak out or at least be you you'd know, question you'd say you would at least ask a couple questions yes, yeah, yeah yeah so um but you know they i did not lose my job though but and, and i when when the when when the audition did take place, I won the principal job, and I made it a point that no matter how many little like enemies I would make here and there because of this 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 pull, and there were some people that were hardcore chavistas, you know, like revolutionaries within the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Some of them good musicians, some of them not so much. But nonetheless, I mean, there was like uh, some what kind of like. External political faction, but then there were also the internal politics of it. Sure, like yeah. I said, I mean, there's, um, but you know, I didn't have tenure or anything like that. I was just the kid who won the principal job, and I made it a point that I was going to be a strong principal, so they could never um, take that away. At least take yeah. that away, or or yeah, or, or that that, that, that was my biggest strength. You know, right, that it was, right. the, the, like musical integrity was the thing, but. Um, like I said, this orchestra didn't have a music director, and normally it was uh, one of the board members, a trombone player, who would normally do all the education concerts. And one day, out of the blue, I have no idea, I still don't know where this came from, one of the board members came to me and said, Carlos, we, because I had never talked about this, never, not once. And one of the board members said, Carlos, we heard that you're actually able to conduct. Is that is that true? And I said... Yeah, it is. Well, because you know this guy who's gonna who's gonna do. He had to pull out. He had some. He's got a 
do something. And so we don't have someone to cover the next education concert. Um, and unlike here, where things are planned, you know, you, you have your schedule and you know, you know yeah. the goal sheet and you know what's going to happen, yeah. and, you know, months from now. Over there in you know, <laughs> tropical land, it's a little bit a little different. A little bit more relaxed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Venezuela. And then they say, so, okay, so, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So, when is it? Tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> what? There you go. <laughs> okay. And then, and I said, okay, all right, yeah, I'll have, I'll, I'll do it. Can I, can I, can I at least get a rehearsal so I can, you know, because I, I hadn't conducted like in, I don't know, in years mm-hmm. since that, you know, since my Miami years. I think I had done one little kitty concert in a couple of years prior. And I said, well, uh, I think, sure, we can, we can give you a half rehearsal just before the actual concert. And I said, okay, well, I'll take it. Yeah. They gave me all the scores. You know, it was in one of these sort of, sort of potpourri type of concerts. You know, we did like Pink Panther, William Tell Overture, a movement from this or that symphony. I mean, it was like, you know, <laughs> very, uh, very different styles. Yeah. But I will never, never forget the very first thing that I rehearsed with them. It was, you know, was, I imagine it like it was yesterday, you, you know, with the pieces, that high B flat from Star Wars. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the very first thing that I conducted with the professional orchestra. And, you know, and I, once I started... And I tell this often, and I, and it, I really mean it. It felt, oh my god, like like it felt like I'm like like, you know, like driving the, flying the the Millennium Falcon, you know, mm-hmm. on warp speed kind of thing. And it was it was fantastic, and it was it went really well. The rest of the rehearsal flowed really nicely, and many of my colleagues, I mean, these are my colleagues, my 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 peers, you know, the people that are, you know, I'm I'm the principal cellist, um, and many of them are came to me. And said, so, you know, and then some of them are like my uncles. Again, people that I know since I'm a kid. And they came to me literally saying, hey, kid, you actually got something there. And yeah, you know, yeah. You might want to pursue that. You know, and, um, we had a committee, the artistic committee, of which I would eventually be the president of. And, and that, that, um, that guy, the guy who was running it then said, well, if you... If you keep it up like that, we might give you an actual subscription concert later on in another season. And so I think I did another little thing, and later they gave me a serious concert hmm. that was scheduled, you know, like a, like a subscription, the main yeah, series. Yeah. I was gonna, like a masterworks for us. Masterworks kind of thing. I was going to do Sibelius uh, and then Vorjak symphonies and this and that. So, great. But... Again, I still didn't have plans to be a conductor, but I but I knew then that I at least wanted to conduct from time to time and 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 pursue this this growth, you know, towards towards the podium, but not necessarily as a career yet. Um, fast forward a year from there, uh, so it's 2003. So we're now in 2004 when I'm going to have my big conducting debut, you know, and I'm and I. So I've been preparing. I was going to do Dvorak Eighth Symphony, Sibelius. Uh, we're going to do Finlandia, and we're going to do uh, the Violin Concerto. And um, I remember with Finlandia, um, we did an arrangement. My dad and I we did an arrangement for you know the Finlandia has a, a actually has a a, a a great choral part to it. That is optional. You can oh, do it. You I haven't can, heard you, it. you can do it with I mean, chorus. I think I've heard it on chorus, but I've never played yeah, it. I you mean, can yeah. do it with, with with orchestra and chorus. Mm-hmm. So we what we did is we 
we arranged it for for children's chorus and i went to my old school the friedman school that with the choral program and i you know and we we got the kids to learn it in finnish you know it was it was oh, fantastic cool. it was great very cool project <clears throat> so we're you know about to start rehearsing and all of a sudden all these riots are taking place in in all over venezuela and mainly in caracas so um i i did get to rehearse once I, I got to one rehearsal my very first rehearsal i was like 15 minutes late because everything was collapsing you know like the the public transport i didn't have a car then so i went I, like, it was very weird to be in the very first sort of a masterworks rehearsal and you're 15 minutes late you know? yeah. i wasn't the only one but it was still you know but so well anyways we did the rehearsal but later on that same day it became apparent that the the country you know the the city was not safe uh, so everything got canceled not just that concert but oh, all man. all everything got canceled some of the biggest protests were taking place only a couple of way, blocks away from where i was living at the time so um perhaps i don't know a very strange decision on my behalf i had never seen anything or experienced that live you know like that's a, you know i'd never been in any of this and uh i was perhaps too curious then and i that's that's the day that i decided to go there and see this you know like uh, people manifesting and and the student protests a couple of blocks from where i was living at the time and that's when the national guard picked me up and they you know instead of having my conducting debut <laughs> i ended up being kidnapped by the national guard <laughs> and all of a sudden the brutal reality of the country that you read about and see about and you know and you, you, and you see it on the news and you hear some testimony all of a sudden you start to live it in the flesh you know that's when they yeah. detain you uh, they, they detain me and they lock me up and they tortured me and they you know yeah, they hit you and they you know they had guns pointed at your face and electrocution and and being locked up in a room with tear gas, you know, you're suffocating. It's, I mean, I, I, you can read about it. It's just, uh, it was just a very, very crude and rude awakening into the, the, I the guess reality I just, of the country. I didn't realize that, I mean, there's no way I would have known this, but that it would have been instead of this, what should have been this really wonderful moment in your life to finally get your own big show. Yeah. Instead of that, like one of the probably the worst thing that's yeah. You're living yeah. through hell, and funny enough, the the place. This is what people, you know, because sometimes when you're being interviewed, you only get so so much time to give get into the details. But when I was being when I was locked up, they 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 eventually took me to this military compound. It's called uh, Destacamento 51, the 51st. Uh, I don't know. It's like the, this barracks mm-hmm. that. I didn't know then know it then, but when I got really the, the place, by the way, the neighborhood where this goes is called El Paraíso, so paradise. Right, exactly. So how I run it. But on, on top of that, <laughs> on top of that, you know, so I was detained there for a whole day. Um, when I got released, when they when you opened the gates, that's when I realized what part of town, you know, where I was. And I opened the gates, and I'm in this street that I know because right next door is the Conservatorio Simon Bolivar, the Simon Bolivar Conservatory, where a lot of my friends teach. You know, this is one of the Sistema places. Like it's like right next door to where this music center is. That's where I was being tortured. You know, <laughs> I'm talking like right 
next door. It's I the can't next even, thing. It's it's yeah. It's, it's insane. Like, it's like this. Yeah, this is this, this dystopian parallel reality. Um, obviously, then things uh, changed. I mean, I I mean, I was physically hurt. I had nerve damage in my arm. I still have. You know, and then uh, you know, and then the the psychological part. It's and that, I, later on, I would read. You know, so sort people who went to the Gulf Wars, etc. The uh, PTSD, post-traumatic straight. I mean, I right. think I had something like that. I it was like this dark world. Uh, I mean, I I given up. I mean, I went into this very deep depression, and uh, it was just things got really dark, um, very quick. But at the same time, they also got very real. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's also the first time that I had to deal with like the, the media. I mean, people were trying to interview me, you know. Um, it was it was all very quick, very aggressive. But I I I think I, I instinctually, and I think it was the right decision. I I did push back a little bit on that. I did because I had seen how some people, not musicians, but just people who had you know who were being in the they they were on the spotlight, and I I would see how some of them would burn out, you know. And I, and I didn't want. I mean, it, it felt maybe this is a bit selfish, but I was you know just beginning this conducting path and maybe might become something later my life is just it, it was at this juncture that I, I don't want this to be my whole life just being a, a former torture guy i just i i still had dreams to to have a musical yeah. career and a path and, a, yeah. and as normal as possible of thing i obviously you know okay this is going to be a part of me forever you know this but so what i did the, is um with the help of my family and friends, I I was able. To, I talked to a few NGOs. I denounced it. I you know this. It's a you know there's an open case. Yeah, and it, in 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 Venezuela, because um, this is a human rights violation. So it it, it's, it doesn't um, um, you know there's no like like statute of limitations. It's, yeah. it's, it's just it could be thirty years from now that that the courts might deal with that, and it's fine. So I left it there. I spoke to Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, International Press. I came to the U.S. Congress to testify as a human rights uh, witness of what was, was a victim of what had happened uh, in 2004. I was here in the U.S. Congress, yeah. and I um, and and I and that's and I left it at that. So it's like okay, I spoke Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the NGOs. I spoke to one uh, Venezuelan journalist who had I had research to make sure that he would not because sometimes they change your words you know and they edit some things and, and this guy said exactly what I had said and that's where I left it from there I focused on just recovering and then picking up where I, where I had left off um, that concert that had been cancelled uh, eventually did take place some months later music was because I, you know, I, I, I put music aside. I mean, it's just like I, I, it's, I quit on everything. You know, all of a sudden, you know, we went to a very dark place. Perhaps the, and I went to strings. I mean, I was put on antidepressants. Nothing worked. I mean, and in fact, the antidepressants were 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 awful. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it didn't work at all for me. If they made me numb, and you know, it's just, it, you, I felt like a zombie, just kind of walking through, you know, going through the motions. But later on, my I got a very important call from my dad. He said, "Well, you know, try music. You know, just start listening to music again. You know, grab a score, pick up your cello, and and per, it was one of the best 
advices that I got from my dad. And in fact, I mean, it wasn't just like the person, the, like, like the emotional, psychological part, even physically, because I had nerve damage in my elbow. I couldn't, I lost all feel from like half of my hand. I couldn't feel anything because it was a nerve that comes from here, from your elbow, cubital nerve. But I started to practice again and going through that. And all of a sudden, others, there was a great regeneration of, of feeling, you know, not to 100%, but like I'm, I'm at least 80 some percent. Yeah. I was able to play again. I went back to being in the orchestra and I started to conduct again in those concerts that went really well. And from there, I started to get a number of concerts. And then I started to get invites to conduct other orchestras like that were not you know the, the one where i was a principal player but right like guest conduct guest know. conducting in the sistema um that's when i decided well maybe i'll do a, a little bit of studying uh just at least in festivals i didn't want to go back to school like my dad and i was like no way i mean i i did try coming to the audition for Curtis but that didn't work out. I was like, you know, I was like, no way I'm not going to go back to school. I mean, I'm done with that. <laughs> I didn't want to go through that part, uh, those motions. But what I did is I auditioned for the, um, Aspen festival and I got in, you know, 2007, I went there. I started and that's that. So my other conducting teacher, other than my dad was, uh, David Zinman, former oh, yeah. uh, music director of Baltimore and Ton Halle, well, a great American conductor and really good teacher. Murray Sidlin was also um, a conductor there and a, a, a conducting teacher there. Um, another person that had great influence on me was Patrick Summers, who's the, um, uh, he's, he runs the Houston Opera, and he's the one who gave me my my very first opera, operatic um experiences you know and then he taught me a lot on how to how to work with that uh, from the pit uh, david Sinman has a that's a, some people don't know this but he's also got very imp- important lineage he was a student of pierre monteau who was the one who yeah. premiered right of spring you know lavals and i mean many of the greatest works were premiered petrushka you know were premiered by him so i and i that summer um, it was. It's also very competitive. All these conductors, and you're trying to, you know, do the best possible, and 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 because the better you do, the, the you you mean you you get the best pieces, and we already knew that the Rite of Spring was 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 gonna be. It, that was like the one that everybody was going for. Yeah, yeah. Know, the Rite of Spring is like the one that everybody wanted, and fortunately, nice. I got. I was assigned to do the. The second part of the Rite of Spring at Aspen, and it was like, it was like I got the the, the golden prize there. <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome. That's yeah. really cool. And to study that with Zinman, who had studied it with Monteux, it was all of a sudden I was like, I felt that I was learning directly. You're what, from, two degrees of separation yeah, two from degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like like my, my my conducting granddad would be Pierre Monteux, right? <laughs> yeah, wow. So it, it it's it in the, that reaffirmed a lot of the things that you kind of know instinctually but you know working with a with a major conductor who's worked with top orchestras on and I really liked his style that was Zinman was a, a a unique experience he's a man of few words sort of strange very shy personally but I really liked I mean it, it's someone that you learn a lot from by observing what they do Man of few words, who gets a lot done with with the minimal effort, 
and uh, and who said who, who researches what he does, uh, you know, very deeply. So yeah, he he gave us some of the. I mean, so if you're a person that learns from tips, kind of you know some, some tip here, a tip there. Um, I think Zimmerman. I mean, I think Zimmerman was fantastic. He said some some of the things he said stuck with me, and 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 uh, and, and I practice them now with 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 us, you know, with the Alabama and any orchestra that I conduct. Um, it's just it's just something that stuck with. One of the things he said, he said, "Okay, grab your baton, conduct, and shut up." <laughs> That's the first thing that he said. Um, and I remember the the I wanted to make sure that I will do that. Okay. Don't talk too much. Don't talk. I probably talk too much still. <laughs> but you know, the, even when I when I came here eventually to Alabama the first time, it was um, so I said, "Well, this is a serious orchestra. They they know what they're doing." You could tell, you know, even from warming up. You know, so you know, um, I had only conducted one American orchestra when, before I came here. And it was at St. Louis Symphony, mm-hmm. which is also you know the, yeah. the top orchestra. Then, and I came in as you know. I, I remember I said, you know, I'm not gonna go give a speech. Blah blah. blah. I knew they were looking for a music director. But when I came the first time, it was like, "Good morning, happy to be here." Berlioz, right? Boom. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. You know, and that's uh, mm-hmm. also you know when you're when you're in the ranks when you're playing. You know, and I was you know back when I was here in the U.S. too. I was a member of the union. I was actually uh, union one in Cincinnati, oh, chapter wow. one. Yeah, so I. I, when you do a lot of professional work here, you know how things work. You know, you, you don't want someone to give you a speech and blah yeah. blah blah. You want yeah, just, just get to work and get yeah. to work. Um, one thing that many conductors are not aware of is that you know, okay, you want to be inspiring and you want all that, but you have to bear in mind that after that week, the orchestra is going to be playing another program. Maybe even the next day. You know, yeah. maybe there's a pops thing the day after. Maybe there's another service and education. So, so you got to keep it moving you know mm-hmm. so i tell young conductors make sure that whatever you're going to say is no longer than a tweet you should get twitter as a conductor so you learn <laughs> how to be brief so you learn how to be brief yeah yeah um all right so i'm in uh venezuela things are starting up i went to aspen that went well i did a competition in italy where i got uh, a good prize there the toscanini competition and by then it's obvious okay that you, it, i i was facing a dilemma so am i going to be a cellist who conducts from time to time or am i going to embrace the career really as a right. conductor and go for it all the things that it takes you know, it's not just conducting it's the leadership it's the mm-hmm. administrative part it's the fundraising it's the yeah just the public just side the of public it. Yeah, side yeah. of it all, all you know that's just the, the being and the ambassador for the ensembles and a, for the art form i have a friend who uh has He's a conductor as well, and he's looked through some um, job search things for music directors, mm-hmm. you know, for even some, like, bigger jobs, right? And um, it's very funny because conducting is, like, the seventh thing down on the list of things you need to be able to do. Yeah. There's, you know, like you said, like, being an artistic leader and the public and fundraising and all that stuff. And then down there, somewhere down there is, oh, also you got to be able to conduct, yeah, too. Right. <laughs> exactly. Manage it and be able to listen and to hear things. But yeah. it's But you're right. It's... Uh, but that's something that I enjoy. That's something, and this is a great influence is my mother, who's who's been doing advocacy for the arts on the administrative side. She's you know 
for example, uh, when she worked for orchestra, she was one of the first people in Venezuela to work on uh, like doing like endowment campaigns, people, something like that people didn't do there because everything's state funded. Anyway, so, you know, by then I had met, during this dark period, I had met this wonderful girl who would become my best friend, eventually would become my wife, uh, Yolanda, and uh, we got married in 2008, and, you know, we knew that this wasn't a place to raise a family. We had no idea where we were going to go. My career was starting, you know, kind of internationally, but not, I didn't have a position yet. So we went to the mountains of Argentina, to the Salta, this place that, you know, my father had founded an orchestra there. And so it's this place I knew. It's like, okay, we can land there. The paperwork was easy enough. That, and we went there <laughs> with no job, nothing. And I, from there, that was just my airport. That was where I would um, go and, and, and do my uh, concerts from there. It, everything was super far. I mean, if I had to go to Colombia, that was like a, a super long flight. Then I started to get things in Europe. It would take me two days to get there. Um, but but at the same time, I had that's where our first daughter was born. Sophia was born there, and so she was taking care of this baby. And all of a sudden, I'm getting all these calls from Europe. I mean, it was yeah, it was really hard at first. My 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 daughter was born, and five days later. I had to go to do this opera in Ireland, and it's the kind of thing that you couldn't, I couldn't uh, cancel. You know, I wasn't in a uh, at a point in my career where you could say no to things. Mm-hmm. This was, and it ended up being the career maker. This this opera. So it was after my daughter was born. Five days later, I have to leave for six weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a it was a very tough uh, move, but we had to do it. I went to the Wexford Festival. And I did this opera there. Things went really well. We got like the award for the best opera in the Irish Theater Awards, and it was because of that opera uh, that that I that St. Louis Opera Theater heard about me, and from there I got an invite to go do an opera with St. Louis. The symphony plays for the opera right. during the, during the summers, and the symphony musicians liked working with me enough. That they talked to the administration, said, "Hey, we like this kid. Um, do you mind?" Uh, I mean, they they really pressured the the administration to invite me for for their regular season, and that's so. I was invited in 2014 to go conduct the um, the the Carmina Burana and then the subscription series. I was sandwiched between their music director. Uh, David Robertson and 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 Leonard Slatkin, their the former, their former yeah. music director. So talk about pressure there. Mm-hmm. By then, we were living in Berlin because we I had moved there because things were picking up in Europe. And so, okay, that's too far away. Our second daughter had been born there, mm-hmm. and so I'm. Um, so we are. So so, so I, I came to St. Louis just to do a concert. You know, it's just okay, Carmina Burana, and there was some Steve Reich. Uh, Music, some some a piece by him, and that was it. I mean, it's just my sort of my debut. You know, so I I conducted that concert, and that went really well. But I left it at that. You know, I didn't know what was going to come from it. I go back to Europe as uh, we had settled there because again, Argentina was sort of too far away. Um, so I'm sort of you know you're, when you're like in the this this point of conducting, but 
with two daughters now, and every time that I would go work to work, it, it meant that I had to travel somewhere and miss time from them. It was it was it, it was difficult. And but all of a sudden, like ten days later, I get this call: Oh, Alabama Symphony is um, wanting to invite you and offering me these dates. Actually, give me a number of dates that I could choose from. I saw that the first one was the season opener with the Berlioz Symphony, Fantastique. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but um, I said, okay, this this is a great opportunity. Uh, then, you know, my agent at the time said they're looking for a music director. They've been searching for quite a while. They didn't, I didn't know how long right. they've been yeah. looking for a music director. Um, I had a few peers, colleagues that had gone through the process here. Um, you know, I mean, by now I think it's safe to say, I'll, I'll tell you this one. But, but, you know, I asked, you know, like, so so what's it like? You know, and I said, oh, it's a tough orchestra. Yeah. That's what they told me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a yeah. tough group. Okay. But they but they play really well. But just, but, but you know, but it's a tough group. And I said, okay, fine, sure, whatever. I think I knew there what, what that meant. I don't know. It's just I. That's why the first day I came, I said, "I'm not gonna try to give a big spiel. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna try to give a big speech. Nothing. I mean, that's 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 that was it. I mean, I said maybe they just want to work, and that's it. Maybe they just want to get to work and and do their thing. And that's why I came here and said, "Good morning. Happy to be here. Yeah, right. Let's go. Boom. Let's fix things. Blah blah. Rehearsals done. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. You know. That's how I like." Anyways, from my from from me from a former player, that's how I liked it anyway. So I, and it seemed to have worked. <laughs> this uh, yeah yeah, and I I practice this still you know in other places where I go as a as a guest conductor. I do this um, often. I mean, I just go let's let's get to work and the relationship per se that would that that comes later. You know, you don't force that. That comes later. That's yeah, a, that's just their that's time an or, and trust. That's an and, organic thing, yeah. you know. Some what I've come to realize. I mean, some orchestras are also uh, shy, it's, it's, like the like like the collective personality of the ensemble. Some places it's just a little bit more quiet, and they warm up to you little by little. And that's what happened here. Um, I had no idea though how how this invite had where it had come from. Uh, we in the, my agent said, well, "Do you know how we got to Alabama? How they heard about us? No idea. Me neither." Later on, I found out. Do you know this story? I don't know anything about this. Well, you have interviewed him already. Um, Jim Sullivan, our mm -hmm. principal oboist, who had uh, he was in the uh, search committee. He was one of the musicians right, right. in the search committee, yeah. and he had been invited to go. Um, to he 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 had an off week here, and he was invited to go to St. Louis for this Carmina Burana thing. So he played. Oh, so he played with he you. He played there. under me. He said, "Oh, I like this kid," you know, and he recommended me here, and then they invited me. And so that's how that's it is. Like the, then... And and that's one of the things that I really really like about the, the my path so far is that it's been very much almost a hundred percent driven by my peers, by the by colleagues, by like the musicians, you know, in the orchestra, like in Venezuela, you know. Oh, we like you. Let's give him a subscription concert. Okay, then I go to. Ireland eventually, you know, and somebody hears it, and, and then the, and then the orchestra liked it, and they talked to their administration. And then Jim was there, and he liked, you know, it's yeah, it's less from like from the top down, it's more from the bottom up. Yeah, and I've always liked that. Well, and it's just it's very cool how organic it's it's come about. It's 
completely organic. Yeah. I mean, there there are moments of luck. I won't say. I mean, like it's it's, it's but but at, in a way, it has been. Uh, well, and you also had those opportunities to learn early on, so that you were ready to step into that role when when you were able to. I mean, I'm sure. If you had not had some of those opportunities in Miami and yeah. even like interlocking what you learned there yeah. early on yeah. when it was time to conduct. Well, and my and, dad getting that job my sophomore year. I mean, that's like, yeah. that, that's really weird. That's, so you that's were ready really to unusual. step into the thing yeah. in Venezuela. You could step into that role and yeah. then find out, oh, yeah, like this is very interesting. I like this. And even yeah. into I'm going to take this seriously yeah. as a career. I think that's very incredible. Yeah. One one approach uh, that I took early on because I felt that you know you're I know okay I know how to conduct in the sense I don't know how to move my arms I know what I you know the the some of the things like the music dynamics and the the just being in the ensemble I mean that part I felt pretty comfortable with I've been playing in ensembles I've been singing in choirs all my life but one thing that I that I also um, that also happened sort of early on in this process is that I said okay I think. Th- that the best way to learn really things here is is by also composing on the side. So I <laughs> I made some extra time as if I had any minutes left, but I <laughs> but I started to compose as a side project. Yeah. I started to write orchestral music on the side just so it's, it's kind of like imagine I mean when you're you know you're you're a trumpet player you you learn the skills blah, blah, blah. but also when when you start to try to write your own method there's an extra amount an yeah. extra layer of learning it's sure. uh, you know and i to treat the orchestra as an instrument there's no better way i think to to learn obviously conducting and rehearsing and listening and doing all that but also creating your own scores and seeing the difficulties and all the obstacles that rise from trying to make that happen that's when you really understand the genius of those composers that you're tackling week after week, saying, "Oh my God, I mean, these guys are the real masters," you know. Then, then you realize why this is standard repertoire, right? Etc. Because you know how difficult that is. Um, but in a way, um, sort of talking and talking, walking the walk. I'm a big believer in in, in being able to um, do at least some degree of that, and I respect the ones that do it. Um, also uh, on the side or as a parallel career, like as sure. a Pekka Salonen or. You know, Slatkin, Michael Thomas, Tilson Thomas, yeah. uh, Slatkin are great. Le- uh, many, many of them do also compose. Bernstein, obviously, Bernstein, is a great, well, the best my, example. That's pretty, maybe, yeah. pretty much my one of my heroes there. Right. So yes, um, that's so. All of that started sort of at the same time, and so then then it worked out. I mean, uh, we were here our very first days right, uh, right. together. I also like the community. I like the synergy internally with the orchestra and how you guys communicated with each other. I like the system that that was in place here, the seriousness of it. I liked that the surprise element. I did not expect, I must say, that that this would be an orchestra of this caliber. I mean, I think this is. A, I think a lot of people say yeah. that. Yeah, we and, and, kind of a hidden gem. And so I to like speak. that about it. I mean, I, I like, I like, I like that this challenge of, of of bringing that to the light, to the, you know, to, to people know that there's a there's a really great ensemble here. So in a way, you're inheriting work that has already been done. So already it's curating and, and preserving that, and then whatever I can bring as an extra, you know, it's it's a great deal of responsibility. I like the fact that we had musicians who were 
so dedicated and passionate about what they do. I mean, um, I mean, you were on your first day, of course, but you know, then then people like Dave Candolfi or Principal Horn, who's been playing in the orchestra since 1973, who's the first person to show up before a before a performance. You know, he'll be here a, an hour before doing his his mm -hmm. drill, you yeah. know, and nailing it. And you know, it's it's it, it, there's uh, yeah that 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 discipline that. Um, um, rigorous preparation prior to the first rehearsal and and it is something that i appreciated you know that's that's like the that's what a conductor really dreams of of, of, of being sure. able to work with um a a real professional ensemble in every sense um on top of that well, we have a wonderful hall uh, i felt the community was so warm and as i said i mean as a family person i had two kids you know and then you know i had two kids at the time now i have three Every time we move, we get a we have a new case. We're right. like, we're, we don't want to move anywhere. <laughs> but uh, that was something that I um, that I also appreciated. Also, being able to work within a community in which I live, you know. Mm -hmm. So we we did uh, commit to coming here and you know to getting you know getting a place here, not being like the jet you know, the jet set approach. It's not something that I wanted to. I mean, for this stage of my life, I wanted to be able to work and drop off my kids in school, and and then go to rehearsal and pick them up, and and making sure that I know my audience. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This concludes part one of a two-part series with Carlos Izcaray, music director of the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. If you would like more information about Carlos and what's going on in his career and things like that, you can check him out on his website carlosizcaray.com If you'd like more information about the podcast, you can find my website, thatsnotspit.com Also make sure to follow me on social media, both Facebook and Instagram. Follow me at That's Not Spit to stay updated on episodes and cool extra content. I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for mastering this episode of the podcast, and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next week.